The SGGQA podcast is brought to you in part by Me Audio. So here's the deal. If you've ever seen me in a live stream or in an interview or some other kind of video, you've probably seen me wearing some fancy earbuds. For the last couple years, my work buds have been almost exclusively from Me Audio. Excellent drivers, fantastic accessories, and both my wife and I had our ears scanned by the folks at Me Audio for custom molded ear tips. Super comfy. The MX line of Pro in-ear monitors is one of the easiest lineups to understand, starting at $60 and built around actual professional use. Detailed sound and durable construction, but also with some fun options like customizable faceplates. Even if you're not working on stage or in studio, Pro solutions like these are fantastic audio options, and they don't need to break the bank. And the company also supports a lineup of consumer gear with options for true wireless and noise-canceling Bluetooth earbuds, adapters for TVs to stream your audio to nicer headphones, and headsets for kids to help control the volume on fresh, developing ears. I can't stress that last one enough. We have to start kids out with healthier listening habits. It's a great combo, high-quality audio gear built by a team of folks with recording-grade use in mind, but at consumer-friendly prices. But of course, I can do you one better. If you shop the kit at meaudio.com and use promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, you can save an additional 10% over their already competitive prices. Once again, meaudio.com, M-E-E, audio.com. Shop some fun kit, promo code SOMEGADGETGUY at checkout, 10% off. Keep your ears and your wallet happy at the same time. I want to thank the folks at Me Audio for hooking up the promo code. Now, let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tech fans of all shapes and sorts and sizes and persuasions, welcome to another episode of the Monday Morning Tech Chat Show on the SGGQA podcast channel. I'm Juan Carlos Bagnell, a.k.a. Some Gadget Guy, and uh, that's the SGG of this terrible podcast name. <laughs> but the Q&A is the important part. I like to have a question and answer, more interactive conversation about all the news. It's why I like to have my podcast on a Monday. We can kind of look back at the week before. And then also if any news broke over the weekend. And I, I, I want to jump pretty aggressively into like housekeeping and, and, and like getting into the news block. The stories this week over the last week were absolutely bonkers. Um, I'm, I'm actually posting about half what, what I had in my show lineup. Um, I trimmed a lot and there were stories that in, in weeks past, I maybe would have spent like a significant amount of time to like detail. Well, this is the problem with that and socialism and capitalism and blah, blah, blah. And, and like, that was a story that had to go. (laughs) So (laughs) this podcast this week, just on the news block alone could have been, its own two-hour show, but I also want to spend a little time chatting about some of the amazing gadgets that we've been playing with and some of the fun that we've been having, and and, and I wanted to leave a little space there in the gadget block, too. And and we've got to, of course, address the controversy of Samsung's, uh, yet again, misrepresenting the performance of their products. So, uh, amazing uh, crew in 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 uh, in the chat already uh Dave Burns is making fun of the new backdrop that we've got uh here on the video stream 
Farhan, Zalbotnik, Aditya, Tech by Germain, uh, McCorcoran, Ron Guido, Onscon, Barry. Uh, I think I have to get unimportant. Let's let's ban this user right here. That's good. Okay. Uh, to say Barry Johnson, Marilyn, Bray Gray, uh, Al, Al Sabakli, uh, Kappa Cash. Uh, I'm scrolling up. Raymond, Hawks, Hawks Talks. What's up, Hawks? How's, how you doing? J-Man 150. It's, it's great. This, this is, this, I'm already feeling it. This is going to be a really fun show. Um, I hope everybody had a lovely week last week and a lovely weekend. Um, surprisingly got a little emotional during the Academy Awards. It was a really interesting show, uh, for, for folks who came out of entertainment and Hollywood, like my wife and I did. Um, some really fun moments and, uh, some, you know, again, uh, all the kudos and all the celebrations and, and, and all the accolades for the, uh, the, the directors and producers and performers that won awards last night. Um, <laughs> yeah, J-Man with 50, node Will Smith this time. No, there, there wasn't any, any big salacious moment for this year's Academy Awards. Um, which I like better. I think that's better. But it, it was also just kind of interesting to see a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once sort of take its its moment in the sun. I am a big old nerd, and you're telling me that there's a multiverse sci-fi action comedy, and that's the movie that the Academy backed this year. And I'm I feel like that's that's a step in the right direction. It's, it's a mother-daughter story set in the backdrop of one of the best alternate reality, multi-dimensional travel types of movies that even Marvel couldn't pull off. And it's silly. The Academy Award went to one of the silliest movies of last year. I don't know. I think we can call that progress. <laughs> like, it's just a big, dumb, fun, silly movie. And it's got some heart to it. And that's all we needed. That's all we need. Seriously, if we want to have a good time at the movies, I don't need a four-hour epic of Dirk and Grizzly Dirk. And here's a childhood icon that we turned into a Grizzly Dark Dark. But is it edge dark enough? It's edgy and it's dark. Cool. But you know what? Michelle Yeoh just, like, traveling through dimensions and getting Ratatouille wrong was really all I needed for a fun film. So I'm good. (laughs) So, uh, yes, I hope you all had a lovely weekend. Um, Jumping into some housekeeping, I didn't get a lot uh, shot last week. I'm, I'm kind of in production heck on a project right now, and it's sucking up a lot more time than I thought it was going to. Uh, it just owing to me being a Samsung hater now, uh, I'm working on all these really big project files and the clients like, hey, we just want to do a quick backup and get an offsite. And like, awesome. Send me a drive. Let's, let's do that. And I open the box and it's like, oh no, it's a little portable Samsung drive. Oh gosh. And it's like, there, it's a good rugged drive. It's a little mini SSD, but the write speeds are so slow and I'm like writing the client back, like, "Hey, I've got a sand disk over here. It's literally going to shave three hours off of the transfer time of all of these files. I think I just need to send you my sand disk." And just like, of course, of course, the Samsung label pops up in my life in a way like, "Hi, we're Samsung. We're here to make your life more difficult." <laughs> You're like, "Oh man, I really have become that guy." 
Um, yeah, Michelle Yeoh, Michelle Yeoh absolutely killed it. Uh, Stephanie Sue nailed it. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, such a fun evening last night seeing that movie celebrated. And, and Zabotnik, absolutely, the magic word was fun. It's not a movie that takes itself too seriously. It wholly embraces an absurd silliness. So you go into this and you're like, oh, but I want my movie to be serious and grounded. And you're like, you're talking about action heroes, like, like, like practically superheroes based on this cosmic energy that they can sort of tap into. We don't, I don't need grounded. I don't need grounded. I, I, I want silly. In fact, um, when I look at my capes and cowls, I I'd actually kind of like to see more tick, more Adam West, Batman, more lighthearted. There are characters that are designed for that. And we're trying to make everything super dark and then I lost my parents and I'm an orphan. And you're like, nah, I'm, I'm yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so tech by Jermaine, um, this is, this is the big deal. So tech by Jermaine says, I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once yet. Uh, I'll need to check it out for sure. This is an Academy award winning film. It is not traditional Oscar bait. Do not go into this movie expecting Marvel. Do not go into this movie expecting dark, grounded, serious edgelord, you know, Oh, we're going to take this concept super seriously. It is silly. And if you're going into the movie, like, I want to see sci-fi absurdity. It's almost got like a, oh, what's, um, ter Terry, not Terry, um, uh, oh, shoot, Time, Time Bandits? What, who's the name of the director? He likes really mixing in a lot of kind of hyper-real and, and over-the-top kind of silly pieces into his, it's like almost kind of like a Monty Python um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's over the top and it takes the premise and then it goes, okay, well, this is kind of a ridiculous premise. How far, how, how far can we push that? Um, and, and that's what you're in for. So definitely when you're in the mood that you need, like just something to take the edge off, you know, uh, pour, pour a libation of your choosing, sit back, pop some popcorn and just kind of be ready for silly. Um, I, I, I really love that we can embrace something fun. Uh, jumping into some housekeeping. Yeah, Dustadori. It's the best example of silly with heart, beautifully shot, brilliantly acted. And also, I, I was really excited that it won the Academy Award for editing. Um, putting all the pieces of a multiverse story together in a meaningful way that helps... Each scene kind of helps empower the ridiculousness of the situation must have been a monumental task. And there are only a couple moments that I feel like, oh... Okay, so this this maybe wasn't a transition, or this isn't something that I'm trying to speak very generally here without like ruining the movie. Um, but I, I that one I was like, if everything everywhere all at once doesn't win for best editing, I'm gonna be crazy. <laughs> I'm gonna go nuts um, because it is also one of the best pieced together films for how ridiculous it actually gets. So, um, now, let's get to housekeeping, because there's not a lot. Uh, let me screen share here. One of the biggies, uh, this was not a sponsored video. Verizon 5G fixed wireless home broadband, sending it back. I am so stoked that I took a test drive on Verizon's 5G. Um, so, fixed wireless is where you use basically what's a phone-style radio, but it's more of a modem and router for your home, and it links up with a tower. I feel like this is probably the killer app 
for 5G towers is not, oh, can your phone get super awesome download speeds if you stand on one foot directly under a tower and hold your breath? You know, like that, that, that's not really exciting to anyone. I feel like 5G has been kind of a bust for the mobile market. We were promised all of this IoT and all of these connected gadgets and your world connected and super fast download speeds. And you're like, yeah, it's kind of just LTE advanced. Like it's not, you haven't changed the data connection to the tower. You've just given me a faster router, but you really needed to upgrade my modem. That's all lame. But when you have a fixed point looking at the tower and it doesn't move and the tower kind of knows where you are and that link up, is way better than I thought it was going to be. And so this to me is a legit competitor against a lot of fixed cable services. If you're not happy with Comcast or Spectrum, or if you have, heaven forbid, like really lame DSL, this is absolutely something you should take for a test drive. I I was very impressed with how well this worked. And especially because we've been in torrential downpour. So we ran it for a month, and of that month, like half of that time was spent in rainy, murky, uh, foggy, humid weather for California. And so the kinds of air conditions where I really feel like it would have been testing the signal reliability of the box, it did really well. It was a, it was a lot bigger. Um, I, you can watch the video. I'm already re-explaining the video here. But um, it didn't ultimately work out for our needs, um, especially like kind of doing some price comparisons and what I need to rely on for uploads, but I was very happy with it. So definitely check that out. Then uh, this was also kind of a big week for writing up um, some of the performance testing that I've been doing on uh, the Xiaomi 13 and the Note 23. Uh, Let me screen share this again. Xiaomi 13 and Galaxy S23 Ultra by the benchmarks. Performance testing is go. And I just want to highlight sort of the intro to this because if we're if you follow your favorite tech reviewers, we're kind of in a stupid transition right now. Um, Geekbench is has updated their benchmarking app from Geekbench 5 to Geekbench 6. And of course, it's completely changed over all of the numbers. So if you've just sort of passively been paying attention to synthetic benchmarks, these numbers don't relate to each other. What would have been a thousand point score in Geekbench 5 has no direct correlation for Geekbench 6. And Geekbench 6 is also stupid broken for its GPU testing right now. So, I mean, if if I were a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, I would say... On the surface, that this is a um, this is a conspiracy to make iPhones look better, because Vulcan GPU testing is broken on Qualcomm SoCs. So the most powerful chips that go into the most expensive Android phones are currently turning out scores like thirty percent of what they should be. So if you compare iPhone metal scores against Qualcomm Vulcan scores, you're like, well, the iPhone is like four times better. Qualcomm and Android, they just can't get anything right. And now us reviewers are going to have to sit there and take the time to retest these phones whenever Geekbench feels like updating their app and fixing this. There's one specific score. There's one specific test when you, when you run the Vulcan test, the GPU test, and it, it fails. So instead of Geekbench, like, it it has this little pop-up warning, 
I think it's like a face detection test or something like that. It, it, the face detection test has failed. You receive a score of zero. And you're like, I feel, I feel like that's not how you present data. <laughs> if anything, you should say the face detection test has failed and we are not producing a score for this phone. Instead of saying you get a score of zero in this test and now your GPU score is a third what it should be. So, um, so yeah, I've never been a fan of synthetic benchmarks as like meaningful data points for phone versus phone comparison. The only thing I think is valuable in synthetic testing is testing your own device over time. So you run Geekbench when you first get your phone, you run Geekbench after a year, you run Geekbench after a major update, like going from Android 12 to Android 13. On one phone, comparing those scores, you can see how your phone is performing on these simple tests over time. Comparing a Geekbench score from a Samsung against a Geekbench score from a Vivo completely does not tell you which phone is going to be better at individual tasks. Uh, comparing a Geekbench score between a Note 23 and a Pixel 7 Pro, you would expect the Note 23 to be like 80% faster in most tasks. Except the Pixel 7 Pro is still faster at things like complex video project rendering in 4K. <laughs> the Pixel 7 Pro is faster than an iPhone 14 Pro Max in LumaFusion video project video rendering in 4K. I'm annoyed. <laughs> I'm so annoyed. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was going to try and catch up on... Yeah, Dave Burns, it does suck that fiber to home is the best solution, then we'll never really get it. Uh... Oh, Fat Produce. So he, here's the thing. Uh, Fat uh, Andrew saying, I just can't be excited for the S23 at all, really. I've been getting into some really... I've been getting into some really lovely conversations with Samsung fans. I need to make... I, I think I need to personally do a better job of driving that wedge. There are Samsung fans out there who love their phone and are rational enough to hear criticisms and go... Oh, you know what? Yeah, I don't think Samsung did that well. Or maybe that marketing is is unrealistic for the phone that I'm holding in my hand. Or, hey, that's a feature on another phone I would really appreciate. That is a Samsung fan. Someone who really likes their phone, but can also understand my criticisms of a multi-billion dollar corporation that... Um, has engaged in bribing elected officials, uh, price-fixing components, is trying to wreck right to repair in the United States, and misrepresents the performance of their products in marketing. That is a different criticism. If I criticize Samsung for those things, the Samsung fan is not responsible for the shenanigans of a multi-billion dollar corporation. But then we have the Samsung Knight. And the Samsung Knight hears me criticize Samsung's corporate performance, how they mistreat their customers, how they try to leverage their position in the market, how they dump tons of money into marketing unrealistic um, expectations, and they hear, I'm attacking you, Samsung Knight, which they're not 
the multi-billion dollar corporation. And that Samsung Knight lashes out aggressively and uses really hateful slurs and homophobic slurs and misogynistic slurs to try and belittle anyone who might criticize their beloved Samsung. And they'll rationally never have their mind changed on Samsung's performance. Again, the Samsung fan eventually might see that there's another product that fits their needs better and could leave Samsung. The Samsung Knight has defined their entire personality around this billion-dollar corporation, and I don't understand why, except that Samsung loves to engage in bullying in their marketing. And bullies like to hang out with other bullies. So, <laughs> sorry, Andrew, that was really... I, I, I kind of went off on a tangent there. Um, there is a lot to appreciate and like about what's going on with the S23 Ultra, but I've been getting into these really lovely conversations with international Samsung consumers, people outside of North America. Uh, it's a much bigger upgrade for folks who are saddled with Exynos. Th this is like something to really get excited about, um, if you, especially if you're in the EU or in the UK. Um, the, the, the performance per watt, the battery life, these are tangible, real upgrades. And I think it just serves as yet another data point that we need to remind people, if you were outside of North America and outside of South Korea, because remember, Samsung wouldn't use their own chips in South Korea. Their own chips performed so poorly on their home turf they were using Qualcomm. Um, if you're now just getting a taste, this is what non-Samsung users have always had access to. When LG stands like me were praising the incredible battery life of the LG V60 and YouTube influencers were telling you, oh, it's not that much difference and Samsung's are better. And now you appreciate having substantially better performance per watt and noticeably longer battery life. You could have had that years ago. I need you to hear this. You have been sold a lie. <laughs> All right. So, um, <laughs> get out of the way here. Let me get this out of the way there. Um, yeah, Otaku, I miss the battery life from my V60 as well, man. Uh, yeah, the V60. And I loved the V60 because I could show like data. I could show battery life. It's like, yeah, I got 11 hours of screen on time. And four hours of that was powering two screens at the same time. And we're just now clawing our way back to how good the V60 was. I, my V60 is years old now. And I can pull it out and I can charge it up. And it'll last me two days on a charge. And that's with really heavy use. It was like my main fallback phone in between reviews. Um, it, it's sad that now everyone's like, oh, the S23 Ultra's battery life is so amazing. And it's great. It's really good. With very like, like low-level use, you can get like three days out of this phone. If that, was a, if that was something you valued, then you missed out on phones like the V60. <laughs> then that would have been a perk you would have liked. But again... We had a whole bunch of tech reviewers just, like, lockstep. Oh, no, LG is not as good as uh, Samsung. So it, you need a better phone that spends more on marketing and makes me more money on my YouTube videos. Um, 
Oh, wait. <laughs> so yeah, performance testing. That post is on the Patreon. I went through all of my bar graphs talking about video rendering, uh, batch photo processing, podcast mixing. And, and there's some interesting results. You know, remember, Samsung is making these huge claims about Snapdragon for Samsung being this significant performance advantage. And then also there's a part, I, I don't do a ton of game benchmarking these days. Um, but just looking at a couple of the games that I like to, to run, that I actually like to play and I like to test, uh, there's something really frustrating about other reviewers only using games like uh, Genshin Impact. I think it really grossly misrepresents the phones that are broadly better at gaming, um, but you're looking at this one PC port, which is not well op optimized for Android. So it's yet another kind of plea that if you see your phone and you see this and it's not running this one game well, that doesn't tell you anything about the other games it might perform better at. Um, and that actually is kind of a big plug for Samsung there. In the article, it's really frustrating that the Note 23 is kind of a lightning rod. And it prepared me for something that didn't really represent what the Note 23 could do. When you see these reviewers like, oh, and it's the worst performance per watt in Android for Genshin Impact. And you're like, yeah, that actually is probably accurate. But if you get a Note 23 and you play other games, that story might change. Um, and I'm not going to put out those performance numbers public because I don't need to embolden the Samsung Knights. <laughs> Uh, that's my bias. Whenever I have something nice to say about Samsung, it's behind a paywall. <laughs> I got to take a drink of coffee here. That, that, that one messed me up. All right, so how about we get all of the stories that we're going to be talking about, the the housekeeping, uh, the news blog, the gadget blog, anything that we link to, all of those links will be in this week's show notes on somegadgetguide.com. Uh, we've, we've got a bonkers news block to get through. And, and even with that detour, I managed to get housekeeping done in under a half hour. So we should jump on that. Um, first of all, uh, we're going to tag just a quick little bit of FCC news because this breaks my heart. I could not be more upset about this. Coming by way of Ars Technica and my, my uh, newsman crush, John Brodkin, Biden FCC nominee withdraws, blaming cable lobby and unlimited dark money. Gigi Sohn gives up amid opposition from Republicans and Democrat Joe Manchin. Gigi Sohn would have been the best addition to the FCC we could have asked for. She is she was counsel under Tom Wheeler. She is one of the most outspoken and knowledgeable individuals on topics like net neutrality and broadband distribution. I I, I am devastated that this entire political apparatus, this this th these shenanigans have uh, resulted in her stepping down from this appointment. Um, personal attacks, again, misogynistic and homophobic attacks, just the worst of the worst instincts in political discourse all aimed at her. And our FCC is still split. It should be a five-member commission. We should have the ability to vote on, on uh, policy. And right now it's in a deadlock. So it's now just a partisan deadlock 
which does not represent what the American people voted for. The American people voted for a Democratic president, and that president should be allowed to appoint members to this chair. And that hasn't happened. And again, it's just every single time we get in this position, we let the conservatives stonewall. And then when the conservatives are power, they get to appoint whoever they want. And this one matters. This is how we fund broadband. We, a couple weeks back, we were talking about how carriers and ISPs were faking their coverage maps. Well, when they don't detail the appropriate coverage, they can block other companies from, from getting funds to better distribute broadband data to underserved communities. It's a really gross business tactic that the FCC should be able to regulate. But currently, the FCC is kind of tied up in this, well, we can't really do anything because every vote is a perfect split down these stupid partisan lines. So if we want to hold cable companies, ISPs, carriers to account, and when they do bad things with our broadband infrastructure, we need a regulatory agency that is able to regulate this market. Gigi Zone would have been the absolute best member to add to this uh, to this commission. And, and it, it, we should all be very upset that this is the way it's played out. I was really hoping that eventually, maybe through a year of this nonsense, that we'd be able to kind of sneak this through. But the amount of money that cable companies could dedicate towards influencing conservative politicians in Joe Manchin um, completely wrecked what, uh, what we were able to accomplish there. So it's it's really it's really bad. <laughs> this is this is like how uh, do I want to put this? This this is categorically um, not the way uh, sort of a public infrastructure and regulatory agency should work. And it, again, I can point back to the Trump administration and the years of damage that Egypt Pie has wrought to the FCC. So moving right along. <laughs> that that one was a bummer. <laughs> How about for something really silly? Anyone want to tackle a silly story? I think we should. Um, let me pull this up here. Uh, the WWE uh, is in talks with state gambling regulators to legalize betting on scripted match results. <laughs> So this story comes by way of CNBC, Alex Sherman. Uh, WWE is working with the accounting firm EY to secure scripted match results in hopes it will convince regulators there's no chance of results leaking to the public, said the people, who asked not to be named because the discussions are private. Accounting firms PwC and EY, also known as Ernst & Young, have historically worked with award shows, including the Academy Awards and the Emmys, to keep results a secret. Um, betting on the Academy Awards is already legal and available through some sports betting applications, including market leaders FanDuel and DraftKings, although most states don't allow it. WWE executives have cited Oscars betting as a template to convince regulators gambling on scripted matches is safe. <laughs> I um I uh I have very complicated feelings on online sports betting and gambling but and especially cuz you know th there there was like another uh, another post on Reddit of like I think it was a college baseball game 
someone will correct me in the comments, but it's it, it's like the ump could not have been more wrong in calling strikes. Like the strike zone went from the batter's shoelaces to his like his chin, and he's calling strikes and calling people out, and you can see like the batter is like getting phenomenally angry and even the 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 catcher of the opposing team is like trying to calm him down i have some problems with betting on fiction i absolutely i was a huge pro wrestling fan when i was a kid jake the snake was my dude um, I'm not as much a fan of it now. Just the storylines, I think, are a little convoluted and difficult to keep up with. And I just, you know, what with all my free time. Um, but it's a form of entertainment that I think is is perfectly... Uh, I was going to say it's perfectly valid. No, it's fun. I mean, again, I was just plugging everything everywhere all at once. It's silly and it's absurd and it's over the top and it's vibrant and it's, and it's goofy. And, and I want that. And I don't... I really don't like the idea of normalizing betting on like fictional content like is there someone tell me because I genuinely don't know I probably should have looked it up like if you go to if you go to Vegas and you go to like what just a betting outlet I don't know how any of this works I, I don't spend any money on betting like is there a market where you could go in and say I'm going to put $50 down on Top Gun Maverick that Maverick is not going to save the day at the end of the movie. So I've got $50 down. Top Gun Maverick, Maverick fails in the end, and the terrorists win. That's that's what I'm putting my money down. It, like, can you do that? Is there some place where you can go in and say, hey, at the end of this Marvel movie, I think Ant-Man dies. And I'm going to put $100 down on Ant-Man dying at the end of this movie. Is that a thing? Because that's what we're trying to normalize with the WWE. That, that's the kind of entertainment that this is. It is the most incredible display of physical stunt performer acumen that you can see live. But it's scripted. <laughs> At the end of Ip Man, I'm going to put $1,000 down that he decides not to train Bruce Lee. <laughs> well, actually, for Ip Man 1, that kind of works. <laughs> so, actually, I just kind of I just kind of proved my point there. Maybe, maybe betting on movie plots is totally appropriate. I don't know. I'm just really bothered by the idea of the WWE doing this. It's, it's crazy. Um... Okay, McCorker in three. You can bet on box office results, but not the actual plot. Okay, so that makes sense to me. You, you can bet on will will um, you know this this new movie release ex- will Creed three exceed um, the, uh, the the box office reports from opening weekend, but you can't bet on will Creed win the boxing match at the end of the movie. <laughs> Right, we we can bet on the WWE. Shouldn't we be able to bet on Rocky films? <laughs> like, you go into a room and you have to take a lie detector test. Have you ever seen Rocky? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, do you think Rocky wins at the end? Uh, yeah, actually, I think he does. I'll put $100 down on Rocky winning at the end of Rocky 1. <laughs> I guess that's betting. I just, I don't know what the plot of the movie was. I guess I can throw money at a sports betting uh, website. 
Oh, I, 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 this, this one is hilarious. That, that is absolutely absurd to me. Um, yeah, true. Uh, yeah, this is again, but this is also why I think, um, professional wrestling is so popular. There's something comforting about the plot lines of professional wrestling from true pal tracks. If you watch a lot of pro wrestling, you can totally predict where it's going. It's a storyline. It's engaged. It's dramatic. It's like soap operas for dudes. I actually really enjoyed watching soap operas because it's over-the-top melodrama played in the biggest reactions with the widest faces, and, like, it's fun. You don't go into that thinking, like, I want a really grounded representation of how people relate to each other. (laughs) That's not what soap operas or pro wrestling is at all. Um, but, But it's fun and that's what i think the money of this system should be kind of focused on it's really bothersome to me to think there are people out there that want to bet on what the writers might do and to me depending on how far ahead you can actually talk about the storylines in pro wrestling that is also dangerous because i i mean i wonder how you would regulate that at some point wouldn't you i mean i suppose you would say if we're going to allow betting on this then we have we have finished the storyline and it's been submitted to a third party kind of like an escrow. And then we're not allowed to make any changes to the performance. So I guess you could say that, but I would also worry that like, if you're taking these smaller side bets on storylines that you could change the storylines based on where money is flowing. So if someone's saying like, Hey, I'm really putting $30 down on this person winning this match. And then this happens. And then that happens. You could like up to the day, make those changes unless there was a really strict regulation in place to say this has been finalized and you can't change the outcome of this event. I, man, I don't know that that's really messy. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. (laughs) No, McCorcoran, I'm not joking. (laughs) Not not at all. Uh, Corcoran says, oh, you're serious. I left the room to go to the kitchen and came back and assumed you were joking. They're actually trying to do this. They're actually trying to do this. Ted Talks Tech, we should, you know, like, I'm going to put $50 down on Cobra Kai. (laughs) Ted Talks Tech, take bets on the final season of Cobra Kai. Will Crease and Johnny hug? (laughs) I love it. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> DTNL. I'm going to put $500 down on Vader being Luke's father. <laughs> I mean, it's father in German, right? Isn't that the German uh, German word for, like, parent or father or something? I don't know. Um, to, moving moving on in, in a, sort of the appreciation of where you live and whether or not you've had strong unions and uh, reasonable labor practices, this story I thought was a little shocking. Um, coming by way of businessday.co.za, written up by Yunsu Yim. I apologize for probably mispronouncing your name. South Korean government proposes increase in work week to 69 hours from 52 hours. The proposal aims to promote family growth and productivity by allowing people to bank overtime hours in exchange for time off. I really want you to take a listen to this, because at first I saw the numbers going bigger to smaller. And and in my brain, I read the headline and I thought, oh, that's great. They want to change 
the work week from 69 hour work weeks with overtime to 52 hour work weeks with overtime. And then I read the headline again and went, oh no, I have that backwards. The current overtime cap apparently is 52 hours a week. That's a long work week. And now they're saying, hey, we want to extend it to 69 hours a week. And the reason why they're doing this is because the sort of family planning and birth rates of South Korea's population are plummeting. And again, they're another country that are very quickly going to break past that break-even population growth. And they have all of this older generation that are going to need the younger kids to help them out. And there aren't going to be as many younger kids to help them out because no one's having babies. So their plan to get more people to have more babies is to increase how much time you spend in the office by 17 hours a week. (laughs) And I don't get it. I really don't. Their explanation is, hey, the government is going to encourage employers to let you work almost 70 hours a week, and then that will pay into how much overtime you've earned and that then you can bank a little extra vacation time. So a couple times a year or maybe once a year, you can take a slightly longer vacation and that will make us more babies. And I, I don't get it. (laughs) I really don't understand. Every other sort of like, oh, especially more westernized countries, um, we're trying to viscerally fight for things like four day work weeks, a reduction in office time, but for the same pay. Productivity has gone up every single time we've reduced the work week. So there is not only is there no benefit to making people stay in the office longer, there's actually a detriment. You have to run your office facilities more. You spend more on actually managing your property, power, and IT, and and all of the data connections and all of the resources needed to keeping your office open longer. And you get less productivity from your employees. It's a lose-lose-lose. And apparently in South Korea, it also results in lower birth rate. So your country starts to implode through population distress and and generational population distress i i i'm 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 flabbergasted i really i really don't get how (laughs) i need to read this this quote from the article hold on hey folks are you getting bored of the current collection of tech and geek commentary on the internet is the discussion of new electronics feeling a bit stale do you want to find some fresh voices to add to your subscription queue Check out the community on r glowing rectangles on Reddit. Now, this subreddit was built to help new voices in the tech community find more audience, and we need your support. Sharing, commenting, and those precious, tasty upvotes. Reddit can radically help a content creator expand their reach. Do you know a producer who deserves more attention? Do you just want to find fun new stuff? Head on over to reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles and share or browse to your heart's content. Once again, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, and let's build something cool together. Where is it? 
Okay, here we go. The government says the plan set, set to be announced next month will provide more flexibility in the labor market. Whew. Officials say people would work less as a whole, encouraging them to have families and shore up a fertility, fertility rate that is projected to hit a global low 0.7 in 2024. So while, I mean, I saw a comment in there. I'm sorry, I, I, can't, I can't catch. Like every sort of first world nation is dealing with some kind of population crisis um, for every developed country. Uh, apparently, South Korea is the worstest, and that this is their plan to, uh, to 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 kind of combat this. For for counting periods of a month or longer, up to twenty nine hours a week of overtime would be allowed. Only fourteen percent of South Koreans were in trade unions in twenty twenty one. I mean, that's just sort of another sort of related data metric where. It seems countries that have, you know, sort of a more uh, stronger infrastructure of unionized and uh, collective bargaining uh, seem to end up with much better work-life balance, better pay. They're more productive for their employers. Their employers make more money off of their productivity and the employees seem to be happier. It always seems to me when you have like uh, really low <laughs> like uh, uh, participation in unions that seems to be real bad for the people that live there. <laughs> I just, it's hilarious. Uh, Dave Burns, see also France. <laughs> All right, so apologies if you're in South Korea. I, I think that that sounds like it's going to be pretty brutal. Um, another just sort of interesting and kind of happy story. I am an audiophile. I, would, I used to say, oh, I'm not an audiophile. I'm kind of an audio snob, and I like practical recording equipment. I've just sort of shuffled all that off. I enjoy premium acoustic experiences. I'm headphone focused. I'm not speaker focused, but I, I would consider myself to be an audiophile if I'm going to add anything to that, an audiophile on the cheap. I think it's really lovely that the music streaming industry is helping expose people to artists and bands and genres of music that they wouldn't have experienced just through terrestrial radio. What I also think is really lovely are when we see sort of the follow-up stories like this. Coming by way of Ars Technica, Andrew Cunningham, sales of vinyl albums overtake CDs for the first time since the late 80s. Now, we've been reporting on vinyl outpacing CDs for a while, but that's been revenue. Vinyl revenue, I think, overtook... Oh, according to this graph here, somewhere around uh, like 2019, 2020... Uh, vinyl revenue outpaced CD revenue. And that's just been steadily growing over the, the, the last several years, especially with all of the, hey, we're staying at home and we don't have anything to do. And some people started working on their music collection. Like if there's an album you really love, owning it as a tangible physical thing on vinyl is really, really it's just like another part of the passion of collecting and experiencing and appreciating good music. I have a very limited selection of vinyl. I mean, I think I've only got 10 albums and I don't even keep my turntable out. It's like a whole process 
for me to set that up and really listen to it. Um, I, I am a digital nerd, but I have this love of that that needle drop and the sound and the quality and sort of the warmth of what vinyl can do, especially when paired with the right paired with the right headphones. Um, but now, not just revenue, actual sales numbers of vinyl are outpacing CDs. And it's hoping that I, I'm hoping it's something that I can kind of also sort of share with my daughter. It was it was <clears throat> it was hilarious. She won some kind of raffle, and she got to draw a prize out of her school's like little raffle. And one of the things that was in the little prize box, um, one of the parents is is a singer, and they submitted some copies of their Christmas album on CD in Spanish. And so she's reaching in there, and she grabs this thing out, and she's like, "Oh, oh, I think I know what this is." And she tells her teachers, like, yeah, I think my dad has some of these. And so she comes home, and she's she's seven. And she's trying to describe, like, Daddy, I won the raffle. And I'm like, oh, Lex, that's so great. And she's like, you know that thing? Uh, you, you had one, and you, like, and you put it down, and it's, it's, it's got, like, circles and swirls. And in the swirls, like, you can see video or music. And you're like, oh, you mean, like, a record? Yeah, I want a record. And she pulls it out of her backpack. And I'm like, well, it's not a record if it fit in her little school backpack. She pulls it out of her backpack and she won a CD. <laughs> in her school raffle, it's a CD of Christmas music. And I'm like, oh, kiddo, it's your first CD. She's got her own MP3 player. That's her first digital, like, she owns it, takes care of it. You know, she doesn't need to have mommy and daddy manage it for, for her, like a tablet. She has an MP3 player. But now we've... Like, we, we have to stop sometimes. Like, one of the only disk drives in the house is on the PS4 and on my desktop. My, I have a, a huge workstation here where I put in a Blu-ray uh, Blu-ray drive. And you're like, well, kiddo, there are only two machines in the whole house that can listen to your CD. <laughs> so I might need to get her a CD player and let her go all retro. But she's like, oh, and I'm going to take care of it. And I can't touch the shiny part. But the other side tells you who the, uh, like, she, and it's like, it's got album art. And it's got all the, all the songs are listed on the back. It, it, it just warmed my heart. And, and so, again, just kind of extrapolating that. There is something special about owning, owning the physical thing, what delivers the music. And it's just exciting. I'm, I'm excited to see that, that vinyl is kind of becoming that uh collector appreciated kind of kind of experience you know like we're always going to have film cameras they're just going to become more niche more specialized and just for a very small population of enthusiasts that love to shoot on film um i was actually shopping medium format film cameras like i just i like it you know there's something really interesting about knowing i've got 24 exposures on this roll and it's going to take me a week to get the film processed, whatever photo I get out of this is going to be really precious for all that extra effort that went into it. You know, vinyl to me has that same kind of status. Um, so I, I, I might need to like start bringing Lex into maybe actually find a place to set up my turntable where it can just live. And then we can like, we can actually enjoy music. She's got a baller uh, playlist. At some point I might need to share Lex's girl power pop music playlist it, it's got some, uh, hold on, let me read off. We, we did this before with Christmas music. Let me, let me just pull it up on Cobuzz right now. Um, Good Grafe, Taylor Swift, Churches, Anna Kendrick, Purity Ring, Kelly Clarkson, Dua Lipa, Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Lord, Avril Lavigne, Florence and the Machine, Rihanna, Miley Cyrus, Janelle Monet, Sarah Bareilles, um, 
Katy Perry, Lauren Hill, TLC, The Naked and Famous, uh, Megan Trainer, Pink, uh, Zara Larson, and Paramore. Oh, and, and, and Halsey. My daughter came up with that playlist. My daughter's got pretty good taste in pop. <laughs> I, I was like sitting down with Marie, like, she's got a couple bangers on here. <laughs> I just, man, this is great. I love it. I know, right? Hawks, like, way to go, Lex. Uh, Dave Burns, girl boss, indeed. Easy, easy computer solutions in the chat. What's up, my boy Easy, taking a listen to this. A nice playlist. Um, Hawks TV, I'd listen to her playlist. I, you know, I'll put it together and I'll put it out as a, as a co-buzz. So you can, I mean, obviously, I'm one of the few people on the planet that is subscribed to co-buzz. But if you just want to grab the songs, you can put her playlist together. And uh, you'll, you'll find some, some good stuff in there. I, I mean, again, my girl's got an ear. I love it. It's so much fun. Like, she's, she's going she's gonna to be doing stuff. I dig it. Sal Botnick, don't do that. Don't do that. Lord still relevant, question mark. All right. I'm going to break this down. The reason why my daughter likes Lord is because I adore solar power. Solar power is one of the most clever, chill um pop albums i've heard in a while uh the production is immaculate and it's drawing from previous generations of of pop hits in a way that is really satisfying going through like 80s and 90s pop there are inspirations of like george michael's guitar work there are overdubs that sound very similar to, to like surf rock back in the day or Mamas and the Papas. Um, I'm, I'm, and I'm crediting Lord because she put together this production team, but the entire team that put Solar Power together is phenomenal. And if, and if you can make it through the sweet lyrics of uh, Stoned at the Nail Salon and not actually feel a little like nostalgia for a time that you didn't live through, then you are a cold, heartless machine of a person. <laughs> Solar Power is a good album. I'll, I'll die on that hill. Um, I, I'm not the biggest Lord fan. Royals was a banger too. Um, but Solar Power is clever. Uh, again, not going to go down as one of the best pop albums of all time, but it's smart. For, for, for sort of young 20-something pop music, it is soulful in a way that I was not expecting. So anyway, ah, uh, moving right along. <laughs> we still have like three more stories to cover in the news block. Um, Simon says Hypno Florence is cold hearted machine. Um, no, Florence and the machine is bold. Wasn't, I, didn't they just come out with a new album? I, I don't think I've listened to the new Florence and the machine. God, I can't remember. So anyway, uh, moving right along, a quick one we don't need to spend a lot of time on, but the, anyone reading the tea leaves, this should not be a surprise at all. Elon Musk took over Twitter and was jokey jokey her her freeze peach. Um, and basically his definition of freeze peach was let's let a whole bunch of 
almost fascist right-leaning conservatives back on the platform to spread disinformation and to harm actual discourse. Any discourse in earnest, we want people who will disrupt that because that's controversial and that's dramatic and that gets more people looking at content on Twitter. Um, well, wouldn't you know it, the EU is like, well, that's a bad idea. <clears throat> so this is written up by the Financial Times, Javier Espinoza, Christina Criddle, and Hannah Murphy. EU tells Elon Musk to hire more staff to moderate Twitter. <laughs> because apparently when, you know, government agencies start putting out regulations on tactical misinformation campaigns, you know, sort of funded by Russian oligarchs, uh, the rest of the world says, well, that's bad. It's bad for discourse. That's not free speech on a private platform from a corporate body that you don't have a first amendment protection in the same way that like other types of publications can kind of present that. And that's also where we're looking at reforming or gutting uh, the communications decency act specifically section two thirty. So yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, what, what is actually kind of angering to me is I feel Twitter is getting a bit of a pass if EU regulators actually have concerns over the rampant increase in tactical weaponized misinformation being spread on social media, and they have regulations against this for how moderation should be conducted on these social media platforms, I think they need to go more aggressively towards delivering the fines for those, for those missteps in, uh, in, in uh, moderation. I feel like Twitter is getting kind of glad handled like they're 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 playing with some kid gloves here oh, we're gonna warn you to try and get the misinformation off your platform whereas like bad ideas are being spread at the speed of light <laughs> they're like oh but don't do that and elon musk is like her 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 free speech um it's it's not a good combination and it only seems to empower the worst elements of society with the, the, the most horrific and vile agendas. Um, so, uh, hopefully we'll see some fines applied again. I I'm, I'm kind of taking this one personal for how much I loved my little flavor of Twitter that I had created and that increasingly by the week is just getting more and more broken. Um, like, uh, over the weekend I couldn't mute people. So I, I got a whole bunch of hate traffic for my Samsung posts, obviously Samsung nights. Uh, and so I would mute someone and then they just keep showing back up in my timeline. You're like, that's not how muting works. And I'm not going to give them the satisfaction of blocking them. I guess I'm just going to get off Twitter for a while. <laughs> and I kind of just left. So, um, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, I want to wrap up the news block with two stories here. Uh, again, I'm, I'm going to have to be very sensitive because like when billionaires start getting engaged in banking industry collapses, uh, they get also really litigious. And I don't think my podcast is big enough for me to have much of a target on me, but man, I just don't want to have to mess with that at all. So I'm going to keep the commentary on Silicon Valley Bank really surface level, but I'm going to encourage people to really read into this because to me, my fear is that this is a first domino kind of effect, smaller financial institutions that were relying on larger banks, billionaires that have assets <clears throat> in, um, in these types of, uh, in these types of organizations. Of course, 
we've got the right-wing, rugged individualists, the libertarians, the pick-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps-and-no-socialism-for-the-poor-people, oh no, my bank collapsed, better run to the government and beg for a bailout on taxpayer dollars so that my financial interests don't take a hit. That's certainly not hypocrisy. <laughs> so, uh, first story coming up by way of Engadget. U.S. regulators will protect all deposits at Silicon Valley Bank. All depositors, including companies like Etsy and Roku, will gain immediate access to their funds. And you know what? That's exactly how a well-regulated system with good insurance and protections should work. So when conservatives tell you that we need to dismantle regulators, regulations, and things like banking insurance because it's just too too much of a of a problem for free market because the free market only works when government dollars subsidize all of the fallout of these types of shenanigans and mistakes <laughs> so as these institutions are hurt though if public money goes into this i feel it needs to be a public institution if if taxpayer dollars have to prop up a failed bank then the government should own that bank. The people paid for it. We should own it. And that's, to me, the biggest thing we need to push back against because we can't let what happened in 2008 happen again, where mortgages fell apart, banks fell apart, and we've put taxpayer dollars into the banks and not into the people who were really harmed by their mortgages falling apart. We should have put all that money into the hands of people trying to pay their mortgage. And then that money would have gone into the bank and then the bank would have remained solvent. Instead, bigger banks got to absorb all of the littler banks for like pennies on the dollar for all of those assets. Many of those assets are toxic. You should watch the big short. Um, but still, that is a bad business precedent to set because now everyone who wants to gamble with the money in a financial institution has pretty good data to suggest like, hey, if we're a small bank, we're going to be screwed. But if we can somehow grow to a huge status and then gamble a whole bunch of other people's money, then the government will have to come in and bail us out if, if we somehow screw up. When we probably screw up and lose everybody's money. And it's gone. That, that can't fly anymore. Because the other galling part of the story is... Let me get this back over here. I caught this on NBC News, but it's from CNBC. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank employees received annual bonuses hours before government takeover. <laughs> so, uh, you know, all, all of the people who were, you know, really into this uh, SVB um, collapse, all the people, all of the really smart business people, right? Because... We need to pay CEOs and executives millions and millions and millions of dollars because they're such good job creators. Because they're, su they're, they're such good at the business. They do the business, and that's why we pay them infinitely more than their employees make. Um, all of the people responsible for a run on this bank and this bank's uh, you know, complete collapse and demise, they all still got their bonuses. I know you were really worried about that. You were worried that the CEOs didn't get their fair compensation out of cratering a bank that was sort of the investment hub and money protection uh, system for a ton 
of Silicon Valley tech startups, small businesses, and individual employees of those businesses. I, I know, you, you know, sure, those, all of those people got screwed. But did the CEO get his bonus? Did the, did the executives get their bonuses? That's what we really need to know. As the bank was failing and couldn't pay money to the people that had put money in the bank, did we at least make sure we set aside all the cash for the bonuses? Won't someone please think of the millionaire bonuses? I'm definitely being hyperbolic because, I mean, bonuses paid all the way down to individual levels at like thousands of dollars. So that's not an executive bonus or an executive compensation package. But I think it's a bad look. <laughs> I feel like we could do better. So um, I feel we need to uh, take the remnants of this collapsed financial institution and turn it into the backbone of a public system. I think what we should do is staple SVB, the core husk, the skeleton of this failed bank, and, and attach it to the post office. And I feel like the post office could start to become not just a way that you send and receive goods, but in some countries and in some communities, it's also like the, fi the, the, the sort of first step financial institution. And it's publicly backed. I would want my tax dollars to go into that. I want my tax dollars funding a healthier postal service. I want post office employees to, to be paid fairly for the incredible conditions that they do work in. I want, I want like the costs of that to subsidize sending packages across the country. That is not that is not a line item deficit on our on our country's tax dollar sheet. That is a service that I am happy to pay money to subsidize. And it could become the first step for a lot of disadvantaged communities so that people have some resource for better financial stability, as opposed to like check cashing services and payday loans. You could work directly with the federal government subsidized by my Californian tax dollars to have better financial stability. Take SVB, take the infrastructure, own it, because we paid for it by bailing them out, and then start that as the transition into better wealth and better prosperity for people across the entire country. Right now, if you live in California, your federal tax dollars go to other states more than we get federal tax dollars here in California. If I'm gonna subsidize other states, especially states that take more federal dollars, mostly conservative-leaning states, that they seem to be fine with socialism, I want a better return on my investment. <laughs> I want better schools, better hospitals, better healthcare, better emergency responders, um, uh, better resources for emergency responders. I shouldn't say better emergency responders. And I want a whole lot of money going into veterans programs for, uh, for uh, people who served in the military. That's what I want my tax dollars going towards. I don't want my tax dollars going towards executive bonuses for a failed bank. And I feel like that's a note most people, most people could kind of agree with. <laughs> not politicians, because I'm not directly funding a politician's campaign for re-election, but most people on the ground would probably say, yeah, actually that makes sense. I'm paying all these taxes why is like my great uncle who served in the military struggling to afford his medications? That seems wrong.
So joke, 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 late stage capitalism. Boom. Oh, right. I kind of stuck the landing on the news blog. This, this is, I don't know why my camera is like so low. I, I need to, I, I need to mess around. I might stop using NVIDIA like the way that it kind of does head tracking. Um, because it's like, it always manages to like put my eyes just under halfway. And like, that's weird. Cause that means like my chin is right on the bottom border I don't know. We'll, we'll mess with it. I just think it looks funky. I, I like having the sort of flexibility to move around a little bit, which is also why I use a wireless mic for my podcast. It's not the best audio, but I hate having my head in a vice to talk for two hours. Um, but yeah, that, that might need to change. <laughs> uh, just a quick uh, plug here as we make our transition. Um, every podcast has a Reddit a subreddit, a, a topic of conversation. Uh, my podcast also has its own subreddit. If you go to reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, it is not a subreddit about me. It is a subreddit where people contribute stories they feel deserve more attention, specifically tech stories. And uh, the number one, I'm really excited about this. The number one post on reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles was a cross post and um, I think it was when, was Ted, if Ted's still in the chat, I don't know if Ted's still in the chat, um, that I think uh, Tech Geezer commented on uh, during his stream. And we just had a whole extended conversation about my daughter's playlist in vinyl. So the number one post, reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangles, came from a user, Halfway Power Riot. And I've actually had a couple conversations with Halfway Power Riot. And I don't think Halfway Power Riot likes me. <laughs> but they uh, cross-posted Gen Zers are bookworms, but they say they're shunning ebooks because of eye strain, digital detoxing, and their love for libraries. This is a story that came by way of Business Insider. This was on my list of topics to cover this week if the rest of the news block hadn't already been so bonkers. Um, but that's the, that took the top post. So a lot of the content that you're going to see on, on glowing rectangles is our, our YouTube videos, but increasingly we were starting to get more people cross posting. So you can go to one Reddit, like if it's a tech or a gadget or a science related Reddit, you can cross post, you can send posts to other subreddits where appropriate. And it's kind of a great way to sort of spider web your community. You want to show people that you're interested in their topic. Maybe we have a broader collection of topics to talk about, but there's still some play back and forth. And that article took the top post this week on reddit.com slash glowing rectangles. Number two, uh, is this what a 2023 iPod looks like from one Mr. Ryan Thomas? I really enjoyed Ryan. Ryan has been doing a whole... Why don't I have an up arrow on that? I swear I upvoted that. Um, Ryan has been doing a whole collection of videos like looking back at older phones and doing re-reviews. And he's started also covering some audio gear and some really fun accessories and stuff. And again, we've, we've got a whole block of Samsung news and Xiaomi news and Vivo news. And the second highest upvoted post on glowing rectangles is a little music player on, on what like we could do to return to the iPod. I don't, I don't know about y'all, but I really, I, I'm kind of torn. I like having something that plays great music. 
LG is out of the game, so there's no more quad DAC. And I like Asus, but for gaming phones, if it's really about gaming, I kind of lean more Red Magic. So I often am using, it's kind of smudgy and dirty because I use it, um, I'm often using something like my Theo or my iFi. Uh, these are sort of my go-to portable DACs that can go cabled or go Bluetooth. But if I'm already holding something that's bigger than an iPod Nano, maybe I should just go back to a dedicated music player. The advancements and the improvements to mobile audio processing in very tiny form factors with incredible amps, incredible DACs, Maybe I just need to go back to this having its own built-in storage as opposed to connecting to a phone. I mean, like I'm kind of torn. This can also be like my microphone for phone calls. That That's kind of a thing. Um, but it maybe makes sense to someone out there where if your phone's not going to get the job done anymore, maybe it's time to look at a dedicated device instead. And there are plenty, I mean, I, I'm, I'm holding up the two companies I'm most familiar with. I, I've loved Fio gear, and I, I've just recently become kind of a convert to iFi. There are a bunch of really great players out there in this market. Um, and then the number three is some dork in a hat talking about Verizon 5G home broadband. Uh, rounding out the top five, we've got a monster post from Gary Explains. I added more RAM to my laptop and almost doubled its performance. Gary explains things that are worth explaining, and I would highly recommend, if you're not already, subscribing to his channel. And then, uh, rounding out the top five, Damien Wild, one week with the Xiaomi 13 Pro. Beastly beauty. I just want to highlight, as I don't even know if he's still in the chat too, uh, Jermaine just missed the, the top five. Tech by Jermaine, uh, Xiaomi 13 Pro versus Vivo X90 Pro, low-light photography, and there's a clear winner! Um... And so uh, Tech by Jermaine, uh, number, the number six post, uh, made, it, made it really close to this week's top five lineup. Uh, Reddit.com slash r slash glowing rectangle, still the labor of love. We've been having some ebb and flow. Some weeks are really, really hot. Some weeks have been dead. And uh, again, I've got 50 people concurrently watching the stream. If everybody in the stream just upvoted a few posts right now, you would radically change the lineup for next week's, uh, for, for next week's order of posts. Uh, it's the place to share content you feel deserves more attention. Obviously, that can mean tech content creators with millions of subscribers, but it's a lot more fun seeing when people are mixing this up and you're seeing good content rise to the top and then someone has like 3,000 YouTube subs. Because the content doesn't... The, the number of subscribers doesn't mean you have better content. <laughs> can confirm I have 150,000 subscribers on YouTube and you don't get the best content from me <laughs> Barry Johnson I will let Jermaine know <laughs> good thank you someone should let him let him know that was and again it, it, when you put the effort into shooting like photos and samples editing all that analyzing the footage putting it all together trying to come to a conclusion that is a lot of work and it's a lot of work to do it well. So um, uh, it, it, it really deserves a lot more attention when, uh, when someone's doing that well. Uh, here, let me get this out of the way. Geet Madden, think the device in the video can bed used standalone and with a phone. I might be confusing it with another product. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, Geet. I, I don't know what you're talking about. 
about? Um, from Zalbotnik, what are you using when you're at your desk? So at my desk, I have three different audio sources. One, I'm just slumming with my focus, right? So it's a recording audio interface. That's not really, I mean, it works. It's not great for that kind of audiophile listening experience. Um, I, I've had a couple smaller, like I, I've got a, um, a shit, <laughs> a sheet, shite, I don't know. It cracks me up. The name of the company is, is sounds like a swear word, um, but I, I haven't used it in a while. It's actually uh, an amp that's in my closet right now because recently the most, um, uh, the, the, the sort of the most exciting aspect of mobile have been these new dongle DACs, these new triple, uh, THX AAA rated amps have been really, really good. And I haven't felt the same need to have a standalone amp on my desk. So the, the main, when I'm just sort of sitting at my desk, I'll, I'll turn to the iFi, because the iFi Griffin is a little bit bigger. It's kind of a chunky boy. Um, like this is technically Bluetooth and portable, but I wouldn't put this in like a back pocket, right? It's just too big. But here on my desk, next to a laptop, in my laptop bag, this thing is phenomenal. And it's ridiculous overkill for even what I'm using it with. Because your ability to uh, route audio through this little box is insane. How you can, you know, sort of split inputs and outputs. You can use it as a DAC and, and, and plug it into another amp. Or you can take another DAC and use this just as an amp and kind of boost the signal that way. And it's so clean. It is a beautiful little audio resource. But then on the go, um, I'll regularly just turn to the uh, FIO, the BTR7. So again, MQA compatible, eh, but THX, the, the amps and the DACs on these are really good um, for something so portable and pocketable. <laughs> far on yeah it's legit i know uh but I, I i i mean and i'm not saying anything bad about the company because the gear is amazing but for how cluttered my desk is i actually took the the amp off my desk and then i kind of didn't miss it that's not to say that's what you should do i'm just saying that's what ended up happening as I started playing with more Fios, like the Fio Q3 kind of pushed me in that direction a little bit. And then the, the BTR, the new BTR and the, the iFi, I don't know that I'll go back to having that kind of audio processing hardware on my desk here. So it's, yeah, it's good. It's real good. <laughs> oh, Jermaine is back. Everyone say congrats, Jermaine. Number six. Um, it is an honor. Sorry, I was shopping and cooking. <laughs> oh, Chris, the uh, shit stack. Now, now is my time to shine. <laughs> Good job, Chris. That's hilarious. All right, um, we've got a we've got a couple Samsung stories that we need to cover in the gadget block, but I want to start with just one quick little. On marketing and branding. Um, I, okay, I, 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 I'm, I'm Team Pixel, so hashtag gift from Google, Pixel 7 Pro, and the new Pixel Watch. And I liked the Pixel Watch, but I, I, I wanted something 
which I felt would be more rugged and got better battery life. Um, when I'm using Wear OS, I'm using a tick watch. I love the second display on the tick watch. I love the second display more than I care about whether or not I have Wear OS 3. Um, Wear OS 3 so far has not brought anything to the day-to-day -day user experience that I feel is mission critical as compared to getting legit about three days of runtime out of the watch without having to mess with like low power modes. And uh, like I said, I like the, the static display, the, the sort of LCD style display on the, um, on the tick watch. Right now I'm wearing an Amazfit. I'm wearing the first gen T-Rex just, just to have something even a little bit more rugged for all of the rain and stuff that we've been having. And, and again, like, I'm at 21% battery on this watch, and I'm pretty sure that'll give me two more days of runtime. It totally changes your perspective on, oh, no, my watch battery is low. Oh, but wait, no, it's 20%. Yeah, that's like two days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of funny. My wife has been using the Pixel Watch, and she loves the operation of the watch, Recently, she's been complaining, though, like, oh, it's dinner time and my watch is at, like, 5%. So even my wife, who's not, like, super techie, like, into all of these kinds of gadget conversations, we're planning a sort of a standalone podcast. Because we did that when she got her Pixel 4a 5G. So she, up, she upgraded her phone from an LG G7 to a Pixel 4a 5G. And we had a, a really lovely conversation. It's an old podcast a couple years ago. Um, and we, we talked it all out. And I think we might do the same thing with her Pixel Watch, just to like, so you used to use Fitbits, now you're doing this, what are your thoughts, blah, 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 blah. Um, just because, uh, again, I think it's nice to kind of check in with someone who's not the gadget nerd in a family. So, hold on, let me, um, yeah, Jman150, 20% on a Pixel would be a completely different situation. Correct. <laughs> Simon says Hypno, exactly. I also almost went back to one of those watches. Um, Simon says Hypno says, battery life is why I went back to a Huawei smartwatch. And again, I, I hold up those watches as being fancy fitness trackers. The Amazfit T-Rex, it's not a smartwatch. It's a fancy, rugged fitness tracker. And I, I, in my brain, one of the dividing lines between fitness tracker and smartwatch is... Two, two, two main dividing lines. Can you reasonably install apps that are not specifically built just for one model of watch? And do you have more robust support for smart notifications and replies? The notifications on the T-Rex have gotten pretty good. From when I first got the watch, it's had a few updates, it had a few firmwares, and now like I get very uh, consistent performance on notifications coming to my phone. I can't do anything with them. I have to go back to my phone to reply to notifications. And that drives me crazy because so many of my notifications just require like a thumbs up, like a really passive aggressive, cool, got it. And then I can get on with my day. But now I look at my watch and I go, okay, now I need to pick up my phone and turn it on and do the thumbs up from here. And that makes me crazy. Because I live out of just a sea and a swarm of notifications. I digress. Uh, this story by 9to5Google. 
the Pixel, that was really loud. I apologize, uh, RIP headphone users there. The Pixel Watch seems to be a hit as Google takes second place in the wearable market. Okay. I would like people in the chat. People in the chat. And I want you to go with me on this. We are going to expand the definition of smart watch to basically anything with a screen and a low power coprocessor that can track your steps. Okay? So we're not going to use my definition of smart watch. We're going to use an industry definition of smartwatch, which I think is woefully inadequate to define the differences between different tiers of wearable technology. Broad definition of smartwatch. People in this chat, drop a one in the comments if you think the Pixel Watch specifically is selling at a tier to outpace Samsung Galaxy watches. Leave a random string of gibberish letters if you don't believe sales of the Pixel Watch are directly competing against sales of Galaxy Watches. Ready, go. I'm going to use this time because I'm super dry. I'm going to drink the last remnants of my coffee. Then I'm going to take a quick drink of water. And then I'm going to come back to see if I get random strings of gibberish or if I see any ones in the chat. So two... Just a quick interjection here, folks. I love highlighting good work and talented people, producers and writers who deserve more attention. So here's a quick word from someone making cool stuff on the internet, and I hope you check out what they have to offer. Hey, everyone, this is Zach of Zach Talks Tech. If you're looking to make sense of the tech that you love, if you're looking for an un- filtered opinion someone who's just straight to the gun gets right to it no nonsense come on over to zach talks tech i stream three days a week monday wednesday friday at 9 15 p.m eastern and then i cut up clips of that show and i throw them out there for you on tuesdays and thursdays but if you want to be part of the live show check it out monday wednesday fridays at 9 15 p.m eastern check it out zach talks tech on youtube that's z-a-k-t-a-l-k-s-t-e-c-h or as they they call it up here in canada it could also be zed (laughs) z-a-k-t-a-l-k-s-t-e-c-h check them out on all the socials we'll see you there and i almost spat water all over my uh wireless mic so simon says hypno says zero okay i mean that's not following instructions but i feel like that's still clear Trent says, Al-Kajikajaf-Kajikajikal. Duos says, what does Duos say? Asfugjisoljifadid. I'm seeing Raymondit. Simon says, Hypno. Hawks, put a two in the chat. Okay. Cop of cash with g um, Dave Burns is putting a one. Dave Burns is saying that the Pixel Watch is competing against the Galaxy Watch. So here's my problem with the way that we have lazily defined smartwatch, because I feel the data matters on what expectations we should have for an individual product and sales of an ecosystem of products. And I am kind of picking on 9to5Google here just a little bit. So let's go back into the article. Um... Uh, there we go. Can, uh, Canalys reports that Google shipped 880,000 Pixel Watch units in the fourth quarter 2022, the first three months that the smartwatch was available for sale. 
It was enough to help Google keep the second place slot in the smartwatch market with 8% of the total shipment volume. That's behind Apple's commanding lead of nearly 28% and well above Samsung's 5.9% market share. Okay, but we're talking about Google. Hold on, I need to see. Uh, by comparison, Apple shipped just shy of 14 million smartwatches in the same period, while Samsung, Xiaomi, and Huawei hovered around 3 million. Samsung shipped over 3 million watches, but 880,000 pixel watches make it the second place in the in the market but that's that's not even a million so what we see is google is second place because they own fitbit <laughs> so fitbit sold over 4 million watches <laughs> fitbit sold 4 million watches the the pixel watches almost a million units in, in that one quarter. Um, now, to be fair, Samsung, I believe they're also counting all of the bands. So not every Galaxy watch is a full smartwatch. And that's why we've got to use this broad. But Apple doesn't ship any dumb bands. When we say the Apple Watch sold 14 million watches in that period... They're all premium, expensive smartwatches. They're none of them fitness bands. Samsung, Huawei, Samsung, Huawei Xiaomi, they sell mostly bands, and then they also have a few nicer fitness tracking watches, and then Samsung has the Galaxy Watch, which is a true computer on your wrist wearing running Wear OS. And the same thing happens now when we staple Fitbit and Pixel Watch together. Google is selling, I think they're selling almost 5 million watches. That's awesome. I'm really glad. The majority of those are Fitbits. <laughs> we haven't even cracked a million Pixel Watches. So 14 million Apple Watches against 880,000 Pixel Watches is the fair fight, right? I'm no fan of Apple. Apple Watch is one of the best products they've ever put out. The fair fight is Apple Watch versus Galaxy Watch versus Pixel Watch, not Apple Watch versus Fitbits and Pixel Watch. It's where it really bothers me how we, how we try to quantify this data is because I want Google to do well and I want to see the Pixel Watch succeed. I don't know that it can really get better as long, so long as they're stapled to Samsung for all of their SOCs. And it's really frustrating that Google and Samsung have denied Fossil and Tick improvements to Wear OS 3 because currently Wear OS 3 has miserable support for Qualcomm SOCs. Wear OS 3 supports old Samsung chips better than it supports new, more power efficient, more powerful Qualcomm chips. And I feel that's wrong. I want to support Wear OS, but I'm wearing an Amazfit because I want better battery life 
And right now I'm even sacrificing my need for better notification support because boy, howdy is Samsung not getting that done. But I also really appreciated, um, uh, I don't know how you pronounce the name of this analyst, Canalys, I think is how you pronounce it. Because if we scroll down to their, to their overall market, um, from 2021 to 2022, we've mostly seen growth. Um, the company that took the steepest dive was Xiaomi. So they lost, they say, 41% drop. Um, but that that's, yeah, I mean, they're still in the top mix of some of the best-selling watches. And I think Xiaomi is still outpacing Samsung, all watches and bands combined. But I, I, I love seeing this breakdown because we see big bar graphs for Apple. We see smaller bar graphs for Xiaomi, Huawei, Samsung, Google. We see actually kind of a decline, but increased sales of the Pixel Watch have helped Google plus Fitbit kind of, kind of keep their position. But then if you look at the whole rest of the wearable market, it dwarfs Apple in this. There is still huge opportunity. We have not hit a plateau point on fitness bands and smartwatches. Recently, we've been talking about how uh, Bluetooth earbuds are kind of hitting their peak. They're kind of plateauing as an accessory that manufacturers can make more money on. Um, we're We're now not finding new consumers to buy Bluetooth earbuds we're now just going to be selling Bluetooth earbuds to the same group of consumers as their older earbuds wear out, which has always been the sort of hook of true wireless. True wireless earbuds will never last as long as a good cabled pair of headphones because they have batteries and little electronic components. You've got to manage a case. All of those things are built to wear out faster than a really nice pair of earbuds that you can replace the cable. Like I've got... I've got a couple on my desk. Uh, these are my Mi Audio, Pin- uh, not Pinnacle. What are these? I can't remember what these are called now. Um, the premium earbuds that Mi Audio put out. I've replaced the cable on these. I love these earbuds. They have been in my little like uh, travel pouch for a couple years now. They're awesome. But I can do that. I can just pop the cable and put a new one on and I'm ready to go again. If the battery dies on your True Wireless, you've just got to buy more True Wireless earbuds to kind of keep the same features and the same, uh, the same experience. I, I, I love seeing that bar graph as I think there's a huge future and a huge potential untapped for wearable technology. I don't believe the current slate of smartwatches and fitness trackers have really encouraged consumers to make that jump. And there are still so many people out there that haven't found a good solution for their needs. They haven't experienced better notification support. They haven't just had the passive data of like, oh, you know, did I get all my steps today? Cool. What's my heart doing? Oh no, AFib. You know, like that is, that is an, a still, that is a, a market that hasn't been fully tapped yet. So when we see, you know, like, oh, was the Pixel Watch going to be good? There's a huge collection of consumers out there that could probably start making that transition and uh, we just need to see if these companies can make products that are compelling and that are interesting so that consumers might give them a shot so it it, it's it it's it's pretty crazy I, i mean like when you really see hey let's put this together um you know a basic fitness tracking watch versus a band versus a smart watch 
the potential for smartwatch customers, my definition of smartwatch, is enormous. And Apple hasn't like locked that market yet. There's room. There's plenty of room to compete and, and deliver products and get consumers excited about this. <laughs> DTNL. Oh no, AFib. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Sorry. Dave Burns lives, uh, Liz loves her Mi Audio. So Marie is still on her custom molded uh, uh, Mi Audio. Those, man, they make such good monitors. And I really love their MX series. Really, I mean, amazing bang for buck. Um, and then. I, I, I could I could I could spend way too much time rattling off all my favorite earbud manufacturers right now. So uh, I said we had a pair of Samsung stories. I did want to highlight just one more uh, Samsung news article. Here's another example of Samsung not getting the job done. Um, and I feel like we should all be happy about this because it means in the short term we're going to get a better product. In the long term, it makes me really anxious that Samsung has not improved their competitive capabilities on making good processors for things like phones and watches. It makes me really anxious that the next Pixel is going to be saddled with hardware that is not going to be competitive, even with Google's incredible ability to optimize and create custom experiences on that hardware. I want to see Samsung do better. Samsung will not do better if we just act like everything's okay. We need to highlight when Samsung is not getting it done, and Qualcomm is helping us out with that. This is from sammobile.com, um, written up by Asif Shaikh. Shaikh. I, have, I apologize because I have definitely mispronounced your name. Qualcomm just teased the date for its next launch event, and rumors indicate that the company will unveil the Snapdragon 7 Plus Gen 1 on March 17, 2023, just a couple days away. The successor to last year's Snapdragon 7 Gen 1 processor, and it's expected to bring faster performance and efficiency, but it's terrible news for Samsung's contract chip manufacturing business. Uh, Samsung will not be making the 7 Plus Gen 1. That's going back to TSMC also. So four nanometer, four nanometer fabrication process. Um, and from everything that I'm kind of reading about this chip, it looks like it's going to kind of be just a, an underclocked version of the 8 plus Gen 1, which would be astounding performance to start getting in like three and $400 phones. The Snapdragon 778, is a much better chip than I was expecting it to be. It brings us up to like Snapdragon 855 performance. New phones aiming for three to $400 are going to be getting chips that are just slightly below the performance of the current, uh, of the iPhone 14. That That's the performance tier that the eight plus gen one hit that performance per watt. So just under what, a $900 or I guess an $800 iPhone will deliver is just going to become commonplace for three to $400 Android phones. Um, that's kind of a big deal. That's a really big deal. And it's also upsetting because we do need Samsung to step up their game. We need better competition in this space. We need someone to put pressure on TSMC 
Um, right now, it seems like for the next generation of fabrication process, Apple is just going to eclipse everybody else. They're purposely buying up manufacturing on TSMC's three nanometer production just so that competitors don't have access to it. It's really bad when only one company can occupy all of the most bleeding edge high tech manufacturing. And we'll get into other political issues with Taiwan and silicon and all of that stuff too. But if Samsung can't step this up, then it's going to be an entire generation of products that Apple will have exclusivity on this technological development from TSMC before competing devices get their fair crack at also having a competitive uh, fabrication process. So step it up, Samsung. I, as much as I really despise your PR and your marketing, this is exactly where we need a market leader, a self-described market leader to be competitive so that we can kind of keep other companies and industries up, up to speed with what's going on in this market. So yeah, the 7 Plus Gen 1 looks like it's going to be an absolute monster. The, the 8 Plus Gen 1 is one of the most shockingly improved chips I've ever seen in my entire life. The 8 Gen 1 is a, is a wonderfully powerful laptop-grade SoC that draws way too much power in the shell of a phone. If you give it active cooling or if you put it in a tablet, it's, it's, a, it's a great performer. The 8 Plus Gen 1 brought all that performance at a significant power savings. So all these people going, oh, but the, the, the Note 23 is so much better battery life because of TSMC. Credit where credit's due. Samsung has nothing to do with the improvements to their own phones. <laughs> it's TSMC fixed Samsung's problems for Samsung. And I love this like Snapdragon for Samsung branding. It needs to be Snapdragon for Samsung by TSMC on the label. That's what the label needs to be because Samsung couldn't get the job done we need Samsung to get the job done. And it, it kills me. Because again, Apple's going to run roughshod over the whole tech industry for at least a year. Uh, from Farhan, the Xiaomi 13 Lite is the only global phone with the 7 Gen 1, and it got beaten by the OnePlus Nord 2T with the Dimensity 1300 SoC and GSM Arena's benchmark test. I haven't played with a Gen uh, with a 7 Gen 1, and uh, Xiaomi sent me the Xiaomi 13, and I'm actually kind of glad that they sent the 13 and not the 13 Lite. Um, the 13 has the 8 Gen 2. This little phone is a screamer. Um... It's really, it's really surprising performance for a smaller phone that has less surface area to get heat out of the phone. And uh, I did the performance testing between the Xiaomi 13 and the Note 23. And the Note 23 is, is not a clear winner. It wins a few races and it loses a lot of other races. And a, a much smaller phone with a smaller battery and less surface area to, to expel heat 
goes toe-to-toe with the Note 23 and beats it in a couple of surprising races. Um, MediaTek, on the flip side of this, when we start talking about not just performance per watt, but performance per watt per dollar is aggressive. I mean, it's just really, really good stuff. I almost I almost splurged on a Lenovo tablet, the new P11 Gen 2, uh, because it's running one of the new Companio uh, uh, SOCs. So we have Dimensity in phones, and we have Companio in tablets and Chromebooks. Um, the new Companio in that Lenovo is a similar core configuration to like a Snapdragon 870. And that tablet's like $300. That is insane performance to put into such an inexpensive tablet. And it has like Lenovo added a desktop mode and all this stuff. I mean, now that I'm talking about it, I might just pull the trigger and buy that stupid tablet. I really don't need to buy a tablet. Ah, But that's, that's how good this stuff has gotten. What goes into a $300 tablet... Uh, is is better performance than what we had on a phone at the beginning of the 5G transition, which is still phenomenal, ridiculous overkill for consumer compute needs. Like a, a 7 Plus Gen 1 going into a $300 phone is is ludicrously powerful. It is more powerful than most people's you know, sort of entry-level laptops and PCs. I've got a whole bunch of little mini PCs. They're running like Celerons and Core i3s. I've got a couple Core i5s. I've got an 8th gen Core i7 laptop here next to my desk. 8th gen, it's old, but that's still a powerful laptop, right? The 8th gen 2 in my Xiaomi is significantly more powerful than that Core i7. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Mobile and and um, uh, mo- mobile and ARM, because you trying to compare this 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 like raw performance. Like these laptop chips are idling at like ten watts. You know, peak power draw can be as high as like fifty watts. You know, depending on what kind of setup you've got. I had the 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 Creator laptop that needed to be plugged in for the GPU to work properly. Like. Yeah, you can do stupid, powerful things in a portable shell. But right now, in a phone, I've got something that is roughly as powerful as... I mean, I would want to say this is roughly as powerful as, like, 10th or 11th gen Core i5? Somewhere in there? And it's got a GPU that is almost as performant as uh, a GTX 1050. A GTX 1050 GPU draws like 70 watts of power. This phone used in its entirety is drawing less than 10 watts of power for that same level of performance. And if we can't find something exciting in that, like when I hold up like Android for gaming or, you know, editing and rendering video or, you know, mixing podcasts from mobile, I'm I'm doing this because there is a substantial performance advantage to doing that on a little arm chip. So anyway, um, they are dualos. They are they're actual pocket computers. So um, just checked the price of the Lenovo in the USA. The six gig one twenty eight retails at four thirty. Though there's a promo on Lenovo's website for three thirty. Over the weekend, it was on sale. 
over the weekend, the, I think it was, was it the 128? I might have this wrong, but over the weekend on Amazon, it was 290, the, the P11 Gen 2. So, um, I, I almost pulled the trigger on it. Now I, now I feel like, well, I'm not going to pull the trigger on that tablet until I can get it for, for less than $290. So, um, I want to wrap this up because I, I mean, we can also field a few other little questions, but for our last 15 minutes of actual like news and podcast here, uh, a, a Reddit post kind of blew up on our Android. I try to avoid our Android just because, uh, I don't have the best reputation there because I'm the Samsung hater guy and uh, get a lot of really angry Samsung night comments on anything of mine that gets posted there. Because I was talking about trying to sort of uh, tame my social media over the weekend. But um, this this post wasn't created by me. This was a user by the name of iBreakPhotos posted uh, a test uh, for the Samsung Note 23 Samsung Space Zoom moonshots are fake, and here is the proof. And uh, this isn't just, I took one photo, and then it didn't look as good, and so Samsung bad. This is a very well-organized test that you can recreate on your own. And so this individual, um, who I've, I've, I've shared a couple comments with, uh, I jumped into a chat on, on Reddit, um, they were also kind enough just to leave a little comment. I shot a little YouTube short pointing back to this Reddit article, I, mostly because I was mad that I didn't think of this as a test first. I really was just jealousy, but they did it first and I wanted to credit where credit was due. <laughs> and so I made a little YouTube short, um, and, and not so that it was me doing this test because then people on our Android would say, but Juan's just an Android hater. You can't believe anything he says about Samsung because he's a hate and he's an LG shill because all the money's in being an LG shill. Cause I make no money on my YouTube at all. Like I, I do make money on my YouTube. It is so pathetically little. It does not financially benefit me to not like Samsung. It's a big albatross around my neck for marketing. So, <laughs> I, I didn't want to cloud the water on this just because of my reputation on people that apparently have poor uh, listening uh, retention and, and analysis skills. So, I break photos, set up this test. And the test is ingenious because it really drives home the difference between taking data from a camera sensor and improving it or making up data that wasn't there. And which do we think Samsung's doing in misrepresenting their space moon zoom? They're completely creating information that was not captured by the camera lens and camera sensor. So uh, what they did first, step one, I downloaded this high res image of the moon I downsized it to 170 by 170 pixels and applied a Gaussian blur so that all the detail is gone. It is not recoverable. There is no information. And then I upscaled that blurry photo, uh, full screened the image on my monitor, and then I got this image. And to put it in perspective, here's the side-by-side. -side. So I want to go through these, and I think that was the right order. I didn't open these ahead of time, which I'm bad at podcasting. So he took, they, they took this amazing photo of the moon. 
this is super clear. It's like one of those beautiful astrophotography. I love shooting, you know, telescope photos of the moon. I've never gotten anything this sharp. Then shrunk it down to 170 by 170 pixels. Then blurred that. There is no information or clarity or detail. And then blew the photo back up. So there are just the rough sort of crater shadows, but there's no data here. We've blown up a tiny thumbnail of an image to this full-sized. And then when he shot that from his computer monitor with the Note 23, the Note 23 filled in all of the lines, all of the craters, all of the impacts, sharpened up all of what the, uh, the sort of crater borders are like. And when you see the side-by-side, it's hilarious. Because the camera sensor absolutely did not capture this image. The camera sensor saw this ghosty, blurry mess and then went, oh, yeah, that's recognizable as the moon. Let me just kind of paint in all of this stuff here. And, and, that's, and that's fine. That's okay. So... The, the reason why I want to wrap up our podcast here is because my reporting on it immediately angered the Samsung Knights. Again, I, I made that distinction. If you're a Samsung fan and you can rationally understand that not everything Samsung does is the bestest and occasionally they're going to get beat in features and that their marketing is ridiculous and you still like your phone, that's fine. We can be pals. But... You know, the, the difference is, I, I, I think I DM'd Barry. He was like, oh, those, those damn Samsung fans. And I went, okay. A Samsung fan is like, oh, well, I still like my phone. It's a good phone. And it does all these things that I need it to do really well. That's silly that Samsung would market moon zoom on a phone. We all know that that's not really a thing. The Samsung Knight goes, you can't change my mind. Samsung broke the laws of optical physics and you are a hater. You're biased. I can't save that person. That person is too far gone. <laughs> but I break photos, put together a great test. And you can kind of test the differences on your own. Like it's something that you can recreate. Um, it seems to trigger more effectively if you black out the room that you're shooting in. So like on your monitor, if little things are popping up like icons or light, the camera's going to know that it's not pointing up at the night sky. If you have lights on in your room or there's any glare on the surface, it's going to know it's not really going to do that. But if you black out the office, you can achieve very similar results in the same kind of test. The other main point that I need to push back against is the main rally cry of sort of the hand-waving, dismissing Samsung nights. Like, oh, well, we already knew this. Well, if we already knew this, why was the main one of the main advertising campaigns of the note 23 moon zoom because you know what's hilarious about marketing is they need to disclose when they fake images so samsung put this out as one of the main teaser images for the note 23 it's the three main camera sensors of of the note with the moon as the background so Samsung put a substantial amount of marketing money behind this feature. And it's funny because in the marketing, they have to say image simulated for illustrative purposes. But you know what Samsung does not do? 
Samsung does not notify the user that there have been any AI shenanigans with the photo that they're taking. So this whole like, oh, but we already knew that this was the thing. Samsung is a billion dollar corporation that puts billions of dollars into their marketing and for their flagship slate phone, that's one of the main images that they put out there. I was in a Mastodon conversation and you can immediately tell when someone is trying to do that exhausting debate bro thing. Like Elon Musk has this down to a science. Elon Musk, I am having problems with one of your products. I don't recall ever hearing about problems with my products. Detail for me all of the things that are problems. And then the person writes, has to take all the time to write an exhaustive list of all the issues. And then Elon Musk will reply with like a meme. And you're like, that is only designed to exhaust the person who is earnestly trying to have a conversation. That is not how rational people discuss. And, and the person who does that cannot have their minds changed. So I post the the sort of research here that I break photos. I, I post it over on Mastodon and I get someone, I don't remember Samsung ever advertising a moon zoom. Do you have a link? Well, if you cared, you could go and search Samsung moon space zoom and you'll find that photo. That was a major part of their ad campaign. It's both in portrait and in landscape. That was a a marketing push for that phone. So I, 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 I point blank them on it and I say, oh, the only reason you're asking and you're not searching for it yourself is because you're not in earnest trying to find this information. You're trying to waste time and just exhaust anyone that has an issue with Samsung's marketing. But I already pulled the image. It was on my phone and I used it in this YouTube short. So I'll attach the image. And I immediately get a reply. Oh, like it's such a chore to go and find a link. But you couldn't even give me a link. Checkmate. <laughs> like I gave you the image. So again, that is the mentality. If, if you're not like that person, you're not a Samsung Knight. If you can acknowledge that what that person did was douchey as hell, then you are a Samsung fan. And we can still be pals. Don't align yourself with Samsung because those are the people you're allying yourself with, and you think that you're reasonable, so all other Samsung fans are probably reasonable like you. They are not reasonable. <laughs> no negotiating with terrorists. Um, so uh, the, the, the last little bit of this is, is also the, but everyone else does it to defense. And that is also patently not true. Um, for example, like Xiaomi and Vivo phones have Super Zoom, uh, it's not Super Zoom, Super Moon. Um, where is my, I don't know if I can pull it up on, on camera very easily here, but let's see if it'll give me the nag screen again. Uh, where is Super Moon? No, I've already done it. So what I might be able to do is just get it to re-trigger. Yeah, there we go. So this is my Vivo X90. It is a separate mode. So what Samsung is doing is in the normal auto mode, which as we've heard from average consumer influencer reviewers, people don't go digging through menus and settings. So they, they turn on their camera and they never touch anything that might have a mode or a setting on it. And they only push the shutter button. They might not even tap the screen to focus. That's how dumb average consumers are according to these influencers. I disagree. I think average consumers are a lot savvier than most techies. Um, 
so what what Samsung is doing is you go to your telephoto and then the AI will just recreate detail on the moon that didn't really exist. There's no disclosure. There's no conveyance. Nothing tells the user that AI just took over your photo. It's all baked into the auto mode to make it look like the Samsung telephoto is doing something amazing, but it's not. So then we go to a Vivo and there's a completely separate mode. In the auto mode, there is none of that kind of AI enhancement to detail that does not exist. But you go into Supermoon and the very first time, it's not doing it now because I've used this phone a whole bunch, but the very first time that you go into Supermoon, you get a nag screen. It tells you how to get the best results from the Supermoon mode. And in the Supermoon mode, uh, make sure... Okay, how do I capture a super moon with a telephoto lens? To achieve the best photo effects, apply a 10 times zoom or above when the moon is not blocked by any cloud or building and use the AI enhancement when the moon is recognized and also try to hold the phone steady. In the nag screen, it's telling you software and AI is enhancing this photo in a wholly separate mode that is not a part of the auto functionality of the camera. This is not real. And they even take it to a ridiculous extreme. There is um, AI art moon. So, you know, like when you see an overly exaggerated, like uh, Photoshop of the moon on the landscape and like, you know, wolves are howling kind of three, three dog moon night t-shirt kind of a thing. The Vivo has a mode like that where it's, obviously fake <laughs> but it's artistically obviously fake so no they are not the same samsung is misrepresenting the performance of their product vivo of all companies here vivo with all of their filters and ai and v2 coprocessor and super night modes they are detailing exactly when computers and ai are taking over your photo you get the splash screen that tells you this is not real Samsung is trying to make you believe this is real. That is incorrect. Because the thing that really bothers me about that is someone is going to pick up the Note 23 and they're going to take a photo of the moon. And the moon is pretty far away. And they're going to go, wow, what an impressively sharp image of the moon. This is a great telephoto camera. Then they're going to take a photo later of something across the street <laughs> and see the AI can't make up a sign or a flower across the street and the tiny little telephoto sensor on the note, which is ridiculously smaller than the telephoto sensor on a pixel seven pro. That's how they get the equivalent longer focal length is by using a teeny little sensor um, with that, with that same focal length lens. Then that person is going to say, wait a minute, I tried to take a, f a picture of this flower across the street and it's all wobbly from all of the noise reduction and all of the sort of crop zoom image expansion. But my phone could take a photo of the moon and it was really sharp. I guess this is all just hype BS. It's all just AI trickery. None of the photos are really good from this camera. 
these are all just marketing. Like if we're talking about the average consumer, you're immediately going to run into disappointment. Why can my phone take a photo of the moon at night and have it be so sharp? But in daytime, I can't get that, that rose just across the street. So you've immediately set up on a $1,200 phone, an expectation that the product cannot live up to. And it's going to cause disappointment for that phone, for that user who spent $1,200 on that phone, or maybe more if they decided to uh, bump up the storage. And so then everything starts to look like a gimmick. Samsung is the biggest. They spend the mostest on the marketing. And that's why I feel we continuously have this like shrug experience with real new camera technologies that are exciting. I think so many consumers think, well, oh, but that's just like a software filter or that's just BS. I shared a photo of that pine cone. The first comment I got was, this is not a very realistic um, portrait mode filter. And you're like, that's not a portrait mode. That's optical performance from the lens. But it's because of Samsung miseducating through their marketing and trying to hide these features into the core performance without disclosing to the user what's going on that we're getting less and less consumer education down at the ground level and people can't see where the real improvements are coming from. There are very good reasons why you'll want a Note 23 camera. Has nothing to do with 200 megapixels or with moon zoom, in my opinion. In my opinion, you want it for things like good reach in brightly lit conditions. You don't want to crop zoom too much, but that 10x zoom equivalent is pretty handy if you have direct sun on something. And then you want things for like lens clarity and some of the improvements to that. But that has nothing to do with what Samsung is marketing. And we can't get there because I don't have a voice that can overcome billions of dollars of Samsung marketing. And we have way too many YouTuber influencers who are like, oh, Samsung said it was 200 megapixels in moon zoom. And that's it. Story over. The interest in searching for these kinds of topics on Google, have they've already plummeted. Like the, the, there was the sharp spike just before the phone started shipping to consumers and now Google data analytics, consumers are not shopping, I mean, not searching for the Note 23 anymore. That topic is dead. So now all of that messaging got baked into that peak and none of the people doing the work to kind of follow through on it now are gonna get nearly the same kind of attention or traffic to test the absurd marketing claims from Samsung. It's absurd to believe that you're getting that kind of optical performance from a one over 3.5 inch type sensor on a tiny little phone camera lens handheld at night. That is impossible. It is fake. So it's upsetting. It, it's really frustrating. And again, this all blurs in. When I say one-inch type sensor, I have a whole bunch of undereducated Android enthusiasts going, but that's not as good as more megapixels. And you're like, I can't save you. <laughs> you need to be open to looking at data and evidence to then understand where something is an improvement and when there's an improvement where there's also a counterbalance. Because a one-inch sensor comes with some drawbacks. I am happy to shoot around those drawbacks for the benefits that I get from it. But you can't learn that if you're just, but Samsung marketing said they can break the laws of physics. I can't help you. 
And this goes into a long string of other Samsung issues. Like game optimization services is almost 1984 double speak. Samsung has a game optimization service that slowed down the performance of their phone on real world apps, but juiced up the performance on benchmarking apps. They were delisted from Geekbench for several years worth of phones because they were rigging benchmarks. OnePlus was rigging benchmarks. What is the what is the scale of consumer harm from a OnePlus to a Samsung? OnePlus sells a couple million phones a year. Samsung sells 250 million phones a year. We should come down on OnePlus. We should come down on OnePlus. Uh, we, we should come down on OnePlus, but we should come down on Samsung 10 times harder in our commentary. 10 times more people will be hurt by Samsung's deceptive business practices than OnePlus's deceptive business practices. Like, they're not even on the same planet of scale of consumer harm. Samsung TVs were just recently caught juicing up their panels. So a TV reviewer tests a panel in a very specific way. And they put a thing on the TV and it measures the light and the color and the input and the clarity and the accuracy. And it's a very small device. And Samsung TVs could detect the surface area of that device to give it extremely more accurate results for that test. But then the whole rest of the panel operates in this really ultra-saturated, juicy HDR mode. So if you have a Samsung TV and you think you're getting the accurate picture of what that movie or TV show looks like because you're using the movie mode, Samsung has juiced that panel you are not getting what that image really should look like. And that matters to people who really care about fidelity and image quality and home theater setups and stuff like that. And so many people are like, man, these Samsung panels are just blowing my mind. They're so accurate, but like the colors that are popping off of this screen, they just look amazing. And then someone tested, oh, well, if I move some of my detection gear, this is all bogus. Like all of this was a lie. And Samsung marketing has been telling me the most accurate picture quality in this mode, but the juiciest HDR in that mode. And it was all basically just saturation peaked up to 10, you know, like it was all a lie. Moon zoom is a lie in the way they are presenting it. I would have no issues with the note 23 having a moon zoom feature. Do what Vivo does have a super moon mode. And I want the prettiest like moon to pop into my photos. I love it because in the Vivo, they actually show two photos side by side. And one is just this little white speck of where the moon should be. And the other is this crystal clear image of the moon that's larger than the little white speck. Like they're making it obvious this is not real. <laughs> this is not what the moon looked like. Um, it, it, it's, it's so upsetting because it takes phenomenally more work to undo misinformation. And now Samsung marketing is basically an agent of misinformation. They are misrepresenting the performance and, and the, the quality of their products. And that is, I believe, leading to consumer dissatisfaction because they're promising them these absurdly silly things and then they can't really deliver on what they're promising. And, and the reaction is gonna be, I tried the bestest Android, I guess I better buy a iPhone cause they just work. Instead of looking at some of these other players, like 
Sony is not trying to misrepresent the camera performance of an Xperia. The Xperia is a significantly expensive phone. It is one of the most expensive phones you can buy in North America. The image quality will not impress you if you want the juiciest, poppiest HDR. But Sony isn't out there saying, our 12 megapixel sensor can zoom to the moon. Because that's absurd. So we can't fix this until we actually point it out in a way that impacts Samsung sales. The only thing that's going to matter to Samsung is Samsung losing sales to other Android devices. If Samsung loses sales to the iPhone, we're just going to get Samsung copying Apple more and more. But there's little glimmers of hope. Motorola is currently the number three smartphone manufacturer in the United States. Motorola got the tiniest bit of buzz on Ready 4. Nerds like me making a couple dedicated videos about, hey, yeah, Ready 4 is rocking my socks. This is better than DeX. And legitimately being able to point. Better support for higher resolution displays, better streamlined interface, really great snapping you know, window management tools. Like Ready 4 matched DeX on every feature and beat it on uh, scalability, resolution, and... Uh, uh, purpose-built um, uh, modes for things like gaming, video calling. Ready 4 is a champ. Only with Motorola getting the tiniest bit of news about Ready 4 did Samsung give us some improvements to DeX. DeX had been stagnant for a couple years because Huawei wasn't making a desktop mode that competed directly against Galaxy phones. But the number three manufacturer in the United States got a teeny little bit of buzz. So if you like Samsung DeX, you owe Motorola a huge thank you. Like, go buy, nice stationery, dear Motorola, thank you for making a great product because it finally convinced Samsung to bring us some basic improvements to DeX. Love, Samsung fan. That's what needs to happen. Again, if Samsung loses sales to the iPhone, your next Galaxy is going to be more like the iPhone. That's what's going to happen. If Samsung loses sales to Sony, Xiaomi, Vivo, um, Motorola, iQoo, Honor, if, if Google, the Pixel, then Samsung will look at the features on those models and say, okay, well, what can we do better and how can we compete there? That's the only way premium Android is going to survive. Because it's basically on life support. Generationally, there is no interest in premium Android under the age of 30. Zero. Like, statistically zero. Not actually zero. But, like, the entire next generation of consumers coming up right now that are spending their parents' money right now, overwhelmingly iPhone. That is not a future we want. And Samsung is not getting that job done. They are not hitting this market with competitive solutions. They are reinforcing the idea that Androids are for poor people. They are misrepresenting the performance of their products. They are not getting it done. And this is where we need a so-called market leader to step up their game. I'm going to take a drink of water here. That was a lot of talking. Hey, podcast listeners, I work really hard to find mutually beneficial ways to support production on my various distribution platforms. 
Instead of just running ads on this podcast and hoping they don't annoy you, I want to find products or services that you really will get something out of and that can help fund my production. While I do talk about some of those items in ads throughout this podcast, I've never created one easy-to-view master list of my current partnerships until now. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. If you'd like to help contribute, support production of this podcast and my various videos and reviews, head on over to somegadgetguy.com. At the top, there's going to be a link for support some gadget guy, and you can see what my current partnerships are. At the time this podcast was recorded, in addition to my Patreon, we can hook you up with a $10 voucher for shopping a new OnePlus, save 20% on some one more headphones, sign you up for Google Fi service, Amazon affiliate links, Audible, or you can grab a Mega Pickle coffee mug of your very own. Mmm, savory, delicious Mega Pickles. Head on over to somegadgetguy.com, support banner on the top right-hand side of my website, and hopefully you find something cool, something you like, while also kicking me a little extra scratch. Amen, Jermaine. Uh, that's why we needed Huawei. They made Samsung truly sweat. I mean, it, it, like, man, that glory day right around the, uh, the Mate 10 Pro. I mean, it, it was looking real, real healthy. But, I mean, again, it, it's why we, we also need to point out, like, if you say you want, like, the, the most photographic look for a camera, you can't sit there and, and pump up Samsung. It's really good. The Note 23 is really good, but it's in a tier with the Pixel 7. Like, that's a good tier, but that's not the top tier. The top tier is now a one-inch sensor. Like, we can't play this game of, uh, one-inch sensors are so much better for all this other stuff, but, uh, Samsung processing. Oh, that's magic. Because it's not magic. It's AI fakery. (laughs) Um... Uh, Bray Gray, I wish this were true, but I'm almost positive it won't be. Uh, teen brains are still developing. They'll come around to Android, LOL. So she doesn't watch this podcast, but one of, um, one of our friend, one of my daughter's friend's moms is a green bubble bullier. Anytime there's a parent group chat uh, and a green bubble pops up, she immediately has to comment on it. Oh, I guess I just can't send photos and videos to the Android in this group chat oh no, there's an Android in this group chat, oh no, and she'll leave like really passive-aggressive negative reactions. And it's funny because she gets so-and-so loved an image, but Android users actually get the little emoji replies. Like, she doesn't even know that she has the worst experience, that Apple forcing her to use SMS on this and not RCS, that she's the one who's inconvenienced. But no, but it would just be easier if all the parents on this group chat had iPhones. She has three kids. Guess, I guess how those three kids are going to be raised. <laughs> Bray Gray, we're doomed. If you're an Android fan right now, live it up right now. We are, we are post the peak of the most exciting bleeding edge international phones. And I think it's downhill from here. I think we're watching all of the super expensive ultra phones and pro phones are being stuck in China. Fewer and fewer of these devices are being released internationally. Almost none of them are coming to the United States. If Motorola or Sony don't bring a one-inch sensor to the United States this year, it'll be a whole other year before we get to play with a North American bound phone with the best camera sensor on it. 
And Samsung and Apple have no incentive to shake that up because it costs them more money to assemble the phone. They have to redesign parts on the phone. So we're going to be at one over 1.3 inch type sensor for another year. Uh, the same size sensor we've been on since the Galaxy S20 Ultra. So we're, we're kind of doomed. If you're a fan of premium Android, expect that the future is going to be real dark moving forward. Now, the cool thing about Android is we're going to have incredible experiences in, th in the three dollars to $500 range. Those phones are going to be monsters. A Pixel 7a, the Pocos, uh, a mid-spec Motorola. Um, if we get another Nord, I don't know that the Nord is really going to be a, a product for this, but up to, you know, like a OnePlus 11 at around $700. Like, we're going to have some great, nice phones, but the idea of a monster pocket computer powerhouse device with the best of everything, we're not going to be getting those anymore. Like, it, it, it really is just decrescendo. And generationally, the market is going to push, well, if we make our phones more like iPhones because they're so popular, we can also charge more for them too. And that's not it. That's never going to work. And, you know, premium Android, Galaxy phones peaked with the Galaxy S10. The Galaxy S10 offered features that no iPhone had. <laughs> the Galaxy S10 had headphone jacks and memory card slots and a variable aperture on the camera sensor and uh, wireless charging and decks and features. It had features and it was the best selling. It was peak Samsung. Samsung has never sold more phones than at the peak of the Galaxy S10. And every year that they make their phones more like the iPhone, it just reinforces why people should just go ahead and buy an iPhone, which contributes to green bubble bullying. And now parents are teaching their kids that kind of label awareness, that kind of brand awareness. And they're also bullying other parents. So no, we're, we're pretty much done. Like lo love the phones that are coming out now because I, I am not confident that they're going to get better. I'm confident we're going to see a rush to the areas where Apple can't sell. Apple has miserable sales below, uh, below $500. The average selling price of an iPhone is over $800. <laughs> we have failed as tech educators that a good phone is an $800 plus experience. So many of your family and friends are hurt by needing to buy increasingly expensive iPhones and having no recourse or competition in that space. And they think an $800 ish phone that takes some okay ish photos and does my social media and gets good battery life is a reasonable purchase for a phone. That's roughly in the same kind of experience as like a pixel six a it's like a, it's built a little bit nicer and it has wireless charging and otherwise a pixel 6a goes toe to toe at half the price that's where we're at and that's where we're kind of burned and again i'm going to point to samsung especially here in north america being the top competitive android option ugh, not getting it done they are inspiring no interest in premium android for the next generation of consumers coming up. If anything, these types of shenanigans erode the confidence of premium Android at a time where these tech bits have gotten really good 
And consumers could be excited about this, but they're going to see stories like MoonZoom and they're going to think it's all fake software shenanigans and lies and miss the real good stuff that's coming out. And it's a bummer. It could be better, but it's not going to be. <laughs> it's not going to be with generations informing, you know, like new consumers coming up. That's, that's not going to happen. Yeah, great, great. I completely agree. But we've got to spend a billion dollars on marketing just to try and highlight some of that stuff. Uh, Bray Gray says, that's dumb for Android makers to do that, though, because the only real iPhone features the next generation cares about is iMessage, AirDrop, and social apps. That's just software. And again, you want to point out Apple breaks standards. I can't, I, I take a, an awesome photo of a, of a kid's event and it's on my, it's on my Vivo. I can't send it to any of the iPhones. I have nearby share and I can send it to the other Androids. Even for it being on a Vivo, I could send it over Bluetooth. I could Bluetooth it to a person. I could send it that way directly. iPhones can't accept Bluetooth file transfers because Apple breaks a real standard and then forces consumers to use their own approximation of a standard. And then they get locked into that and they think that's what the ecosystem should look like. You can't use MTP file transfers on a Mac? Are you kidding me? That's USB. USB file transfers don't work on a Mac because when the iPhone was created, they wanted you to use iTunes to move files between a phone and a computer. Like, all of this is, let's break what the real standard is, let's make kind of an inferior and limited version of that, and then we'll tell the users, well, to see... When an Android user uh, text messages you a photo, look at how blurry that photo is. Android cameras must be inferior to iPhone cameras. They just work. Because Apple is forcing that iPhone user to fall back on MMS messaging. And literally, that was like the last comment that I got from this kid's mom was like, Oh, but I wanted to share this video. I got these like three GPP files that are like, don't even bother. And the next time our kids are hanging out and I shoot some awesome photos, I'm, I'm not going to send them to her. Like that sucks. And it's already coloring the friend groups and the relationships that my seven-year-old has because their parents can't bother to appreciate how pissy they're being. Like that's really gross. Oh, Duolos, I mean, yeah, but we're rational and it's not, a, it's not a rational thing. It's a marketing thing. Uh, Duolos writes, I've never understood why someone would be okay with a company breaking an accepted standard so that they can prosper financially because it, they're not okay with it. They're okay with a company telling them that they bought the best and tell, and feeding them advertisement after advertisement after advertisement of feel good about our product and feel good about your purchase and you're on this team. And that's what Apple marketing has done really well since uh, they dropped the Mac versus PC ads. Mac versus PC was the last time Apple compared their products against a competitor. From there on, it was all just, it just works and you're the bestest and what's a computer and we have water resistance three years after Android phones. 
but they don't compare because they don't win if they compare. <laughs> if it's really features for price, they really don't win. Um, so they gave up on all that. And it's purely emotional marketing that is now into multiple generations of consumers. They've been doing this since the, the sort of modern era of the internet. Once they gave up with Mac versus PC, it has been generation after generation after generation of entrenched Apple consumers just being fed, feel good. You bought the right thing. You're in the right friend group. All of your friends use the same thing. They're just like you. That's where you should live. And they can't step outside of that because as soon as they do, they're going to get bullied by their peer groups at any age. I'm in my 40s. And I'm having to deal with a lady. Oh, there's an Android in our group chat. And it's all I can do to not immediately tear. But then I'm the jerk. If I call out her commenting on every single Android user's text, I'm the jerk. You see how that works? How emotion, because this isn't rational, it's emotional. It's an emotional in-group and out-group. And that's what bullying is has nothing to do with, oh, I'm going to beat you up by the lockers. It's about ostracizing you from a group and not letting you participate and calling out and drawing attention to someone who might be a little different than you. And Apple has an army of sycophants that do all of that bullying for them, and they're happy to profit immensely off of the behavior of some truly terrible people. <laughs> and they don't even know that they're being terrible because if you push back, why are you being so defensive? You Android users, just because you have a poor person phone doesn't mean you should attack us. iPhone users, you're attacking us, but I wasn't the one calling it out. And when I got stupid bullshit reaction texts from iPhone owners, I wasn't in the group chat going, oh, uh, someone's got an iPhone and I can tell because I got a text reply that said so-and-so likes a photo. Wah. I went, yeah, Google's messaging is really effed up. I, I wish Google messaging were better and I wasn't having to deal with Hangouts and Allo and Duo. But now I'm on RCS and RCS is demonstrably better than iMessage. It's more secure as a fallback. It doesn't deal with all this MSS shenanigans. It is more secure Apple is forcing their customers to use less secure messaging because they want them to pay more. And they want those Apple users to bully Android users into buying iPhones. So you get a less secure product experience if anyone is in the group chat. Thanks, Apple. You did it again. It just works. It doesn't do much else. It just works. So dumb and i hate it so much but again I, I like we're stuck with it we're stuck with this as lex is going through school and at some point lex is probably going to have to make a decision on what friends she has and what communication she has access to all because of what phones kids are using and we'll probably have to cross a bridge where maybe she will end up having to get an iphone and that kills me and that kills me that i'm going to have to make a choice like that for my daughter not based on the actual merit of the technology or the quality of the gadget that might improve what she wants to do on a mobile, but solely because some jerk in her class is going to call her out on what color text messages she has. And I just, it makes me want to vomit. 
if there's ever a reason why you think like, well, why doesn't one review more Apple gear? You know what? That's enough. That's enough right there to never, ever like popularize an Apple product for me, like to actively work against that kind of marketing. And it sucks because in the United States, the top two companies are the two companies that I feel do the most BS damage to our hobby through marketing. And that's Apple and Samsung. Oh, yeah, Tech by Jermaine. I wish this were true here, too, but there's going to be no consensus on parent groups. And, like, the only other sort of main parent chat setup is on Facebook. And, oh, it's so obnoxious. I'm not going back to Facebook to do parent chat. Uh, Tech by Jermaine says, in Europe, we basically just use WhatsApp. We don't really use normal text messages. Because you're years ahead of us. <laughs> We're still trying to figure out, like, chip and pin credit card payments here in the United States at scale. Like, tap and pay? <laughs> We're way behind. And we also are way behind in our messaging, too. It, it is. It's SMS and iMessage took root when it should have been regulated against as a standard. But it, carriers rolled over for the iPhone because the iPhone was going to be really popular. And it just it just rooted and it just entrenched itself. And it's bad. It's not a good standard to, 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 I mean, by evidence of, you can't talk to anyone who doesn't have an iPhone. Immediately, regulators should have said, hey, you know what? That's not a standard. That's an anti-consumer business practice that does harm to the market. Hmm. But we don't have regulators that can do that. <laughs> See, Onscon, I mean, I agree, but I don't want to have to be that guy because it's nothing but grief. Uh, Onscon says, I wish there were more Android uh, uh, male genital heads. I don't know. Am, am I censoring myself? I'm trying to keep this like somewhat PG-13. I know I've already sworn a couple times uh, to fight back against these Apple hounds barking at us. But the, the thing is, you can't win because iPhone owners really believe that it's reasonable discourse to poop all over an Android user and the second an Android user speaks up, they're the ones who are unreasonable. It, it is. It's total grade school playground dynamics. The bully is going to pick on the outcast kid. And when the outcast kid fights back, that's when the teachers are going to get involved and fighting is not allowed. And then both kids are punished because we have zero tolerance. That is the mentality that we are having to deal with for grade school friend groups. That's, that's what this looks like. So it doesn't matter if you've got a bunch of Samsung bullies trying to fight and, uh, Apple bullies, then it's just bullies. And it doesn't make any of this better. It makes it all worse, and it just makes the losing side look like it's sour grapes. There is no argument for iMessage. RCS is better. You can have iMessage and have it fall back to RCS, and all of this would be fine. But Apple has a vested interest in fueling their collection of bullies to put pressure on social groups, and that's how Apple makes more money. But you won't fight that with other people, like, barking at them. It, like, it won't make it better. It's actually just going to cause the Apple stands to dig in their heels even more. And, and that's what we don't need. I mean, it's I mean, it is. It's kind of soul crushing to a point. If you're a fan of technology and not just a fan of a specific manufacturer, it breaks your heart. 
because all of this stuff should be better by now. But we can't get there if we don't have accepted standards that are regulated and enforced by a strong regulatory agency to make sure that no companies really can game the market and create this sort of monopolistic business practice. We need divestiture. We need to break up every single one of these companies at this point. We need to break Google. We need to break Microsoft. We definitely need to break Amazon. I'm on Twitch right now. And Apple needs a significant market correction over their business practices. Like, it's never going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen until there's like a catastrophic failure in the market. And then we, out of the ashes of the old capitalistic market, we rebuild. It's, always, it's basically just downhill from here. That's my opinion. I've seen no evidence to suggest that through meritocracy and good gadgets and reasonable discourse on social media, other companies will have a fair shake at making good phones and computers for consumers. The second of another phone comes out, it's an army of Samsung and iPhone knights that are like, no, but it's not as good. You can't win if you just make a good gadget. You can only win if you impress people over multiple years by spending billions of dollars in marketing to make them feel good about it. And then eventually they'll make money by making videos about those products. And then, wouldn't you know it, my mind's been changed. Surface Pro 1 and 2, garbage. Surface Pro 3, more people are starting to search for Surface Pro videos. Wouldn't you know it. My mind has been changed about the surface. It's all, it's all a game. It's all a game of marketing and YouTube ad revenue. <laughs> so, um, on that note, <laughs> we should probably start wrapping this up. My voice is failing. Um, I'm going to take another drink of water and we'll, 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 we'll put a pin in it here. Uh. Oh, yeah, Gormlord, the, again, the hand-waving is infuriating. Uh, Gormlord says, I always run into the argument of I would never even use that when referring to features that my Android has, then I pull out all my hair. Because, again, it's never rational. It's always emotional. And someone who likes the iPhone will always like what the iPhone does and does not do. And then as soon as the iPhone can do something that the Android can do, they can always rewrite history to say, well, I always wanted that feature, but I wanted the iPhone version of it because Apple always does it the bestest. You'll, you, can't, you can't debate someone out of that. You can't rationalize someone out of that. They weren't rational to have that stance. And again, I was a Samsung knight. I was one of those nerds that would pick every single fight and how much I loved my Note 4. And then I take a step outside of that and I grow up a little bit. And I realize like, oh, I went from being an Apple stand to being a Samsung stand. I was the guy who was in forums like dual core, dual socket, power max, man. Why would you use anything else? You're dumb. Then I was a Samsung stand, man, you know, like this Note 4 and it's got an S Pen, and it's got a 4K video camera and it's got this great OLED, it's, you know, quad HD and, and it doesn't matter. Like you're, you're always going to lose. <laughs> so uh, on that note, have a great week. <laughs> that got a little, it became a little bit of a bummer. I, I got to be careful. Like, oh, you know, when I share how I really feel about something, it gets kind of dark sometimes. Um, this week, this, this last week of news was wacky. Um, keep your heads on straight. 
I, I am afeared that we're going to see more financial institution, mini collapses. There are going to be a number of smaller industries, uh, tech players in this industry. Like when we're talking about Roku and Etsy, and then every little startup under that tier of a corporation is going to be affected by the ripple of SVB cratering. The political conversations are going to be absurd. Please consider writing letters to your elected officials and to your regulators, showing support for initiatives that would make sense for consumers on the ground, for people who are hurt when their assets are frozen by a bank collapsing. We're not about bailing out the bank. We're about making sure all of the people that did business with that bank are taken care of. And, and we can be a part of that conversation. We, we can tweet about it, but that's going to mean very little. If we're taking the time to really contact our, our elected officials and our regulators to say, this is what we want to happen, we can be a, a tiny little counterpoint to the interests of billionaires who donate money to all of these politicians' campaigns. It's really the only recourse we have in trying to push back is having the numbers on our side. Not the dollars, but the numbers. So be active, participate, but take care of yourself and take care of your friends and family. I think a lot of people are gonna be hurt by some of these shenanigans over the next couple of weeks. And we just need to keep an eye on what the news is doing. Because I also think there are a lot of people in our media that have an interest in watching this crater because they will profit from it. And okay, fine, that's the imaginary billionaire money, but we need to make sure that real people are protected when this stuff happens. So uh, I want you to have an amazing week. I want you to do awesome with your technology. I want you to be awesome with your technology. And I want you to take care of yourself so that you can also help take care of others. Because it's pretty wild out there right now. I'll catch you all back here next week for another episode of the SDGQA podcast, the Monday Morning Tech Chat. Be safe, take care. I love you all. And I'll catch you back. Recording voiceover, spoken word, is truly one of my favorite activities. My second favorite hobby is photography. Now, the smartphone might be making us deaf, but we can't deny the awesome power of the phone as a platform for photography and multimedia creation. If you've been looking to improve your mobile photog skills, if you want to produce more professional content, or you're just looking to take your family photos to the next level, I wrote a book to help you out with that. Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs is available on Amazon Kindle. Walking through the basic terminology of photography, covering the settings on your camera, discussing composition and inspiration, and I even include a long list of exercises and challenges to really hone your skills, all with some helpful example photos and diagrams. Search for Take Better Photos, Smartphone Photography for Noobs on Amazon, or use the quick link bit.ly slash betterphotosbook to grab your copy today. Day.